This week on Invasion of the Podcast, Gary Larson returns to save us all. We talk about Marvel's Moon Knight. Are we of two minds or more about it? And today is National Video Game Day, or as Paul calls it, every day. We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. The arrival of a spaceship. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Flying saucers have invaded our planet. People of the attention. It's the invasion of the podcast. The whole world is under attack. Can it survive? And welcome to Invasion of the Podcast, where we try to take over the world one listener at a time. My name is Paul, and somewhere out in the darkness is the symbol that terrifies everybody, Steve. Hello, everyone. And he's dressed. And I am yeah, terrifying. He's terrifying. He's all dressed in silver right now. It's, you know, I can't see it. I just know it. So, um, yeah, we're going to be talking about the character Moon Knight uh, this evening on the show, um, which is. I, you know, B list Marvel, I guess he has bounced around in terms of like, uh, importance and, um, I don't know, permanence in, uh, the, the Marvel universe. Uh, and since the Disney plus show was announced a while ago, figured why not talk about some Moon Knight? Cause I love Moon Knight. Here's something I got to admit though. I didn't know that much about Moon Knight until we started digging in. So there's a lot here that I kind of knew, but didn't really know. So I think this will be a fun talk. Yeah, I think. Maybe I've read a couple of things with Moon Knight in them, and that's when I say a couple of things with him in it. It's not comic starring Moon Knight. Like, hey, we've called every Avenger possible. Oh, Moon Knight's in the background. That's <laughs> pretty much my extent of knowledge when it comes to Moon Knight. Before this, like so. you, you probably see more episodes of Aqua Teen Hunger Force with the Moon Knights in them versus Moon Knight. That's probably fair, but I think uh, I, I, I think you could probably count the uh, m- m- the number of episodes of that show on one hand. So <laughs> fair enough. So we're gonna be talking about some Moon Knight. This will be a lot of fun. Uh, before we get into um, our you know our talk of news and things, it's got to mention. I hope you guys enjoyed our discussion about uh, uh, Jason X last week. The the long overdue talk of Jason X. I had a lot of fun with it. Um, I continued my journey on with Friday the 13th as I texted Steve a couple days ago and decided, you know, since I kind of bounced all over with my viewing a little bit, um, I had watched seven before we talked about Jason X and I'm like, well, I know I've seen all of these and I'm like, I know I've seen part eight where Jason takes Manhattan, but outside of, um, the bit where he punches a dude's head heads off the, like on a, like the rooftop, the boxing match. And then when he turns and looks at the billboard with the hockey goalie mask, I didn't remember a damn thing about that movie. And I sat down and watched it again. Um, yeah, I'm glad I didn't watch it before Jason X to use that as a litmus test because then Jason X probably should have won an Oscar comparatively. Wow. That was, that was harsh. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I feel like, uh, eight probably falls closer to the bottom, uh, of my, uh, rankings as well. Uh, I don't know that I would say that it's worse than Jason X, but it's a sliding scale at that point. 
I just, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it just, they had a, they had an interesting enough premise of what if Jason on boat full of high school kids, like, okay, good enough. But just, I, I, and I'm going to guess that it had some editing to cut down because of violence, but it just felt very, um, it just felt very toothless in a lot of ways. And then because of budget, he actually doesn't even show up in Manhattan until an hour in. And the promise of the movie, the, the trailer for the movie is so great. The teaser trailer. I, and then the movie doesn't quite deliver on that. And that was just frustrating, but I'm glad I sat down and watched it. There's still some fun to be had. Um, I would just say if people are watching, if, if people are just picking sequels at random to watch, watch seven and get to eight eventually. Yeah, don't start with eight. I mean, it, yeah, get that's to fair. it at some point, yeah. but it's not the one that you're like, that's going to be my go-to. <laughs> so, yeah. So that was uh, that was mostly uh, my holiday weekend. Was No, I, I just watched that on a loop over and over again. Now, uh, outside of um, uh, the world exploding for five hours straight, it felt like, on July 4th, and then... I don't know, Sunday, July 5th, it happened again. Not to the same degree, but it's like, really? Some of us have to actually wake up in the morning to do things. And that was very frustrating. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised by that. Uh, it was, I was actually surprised around here. Uh, the 5th was relatively quiet. I feel like the week leading up to the 4th of July was sounded like a war zone outside my window. But the 5th was actually relatively quiet, and I'm... I'm hoping now that we've all got it out, you know, I, I don't begrudge anybody celebrating the 4th of July with fireworks. I did it a lot as a kid, but we're now past that. Yes. And we had a very long lead up to it and it, it felt like everybody spent their stimulus checks on (laughs) uh, fireworks this year. I don't know what the hell was going on, but it was, it was a pervasive like week to two week long, just every night of fireworks going off and terrified dogs yeah our cats weren't fans either but i think dogs get it worse honestly um so i'm sorry to hear that that was uh challenging uh was it did you guys do anything else for your quote-unquote holiday weekend uh we did uh the, the main thing that we did and it's not even uh really we uh i went to the comic book store for the first time since before the quarantine so I went to Carol and John's because uh, they were uh, having a sale on back issues, and I really wanted to get out and do something to feel normal again, and uh, went and spent about an hour just going through long boxes and picking up some comics. Nice. And I, I've seen videos and photos of the store. They, um, they're really committed to, as, as crazy as I think it is with the way things are, I know they're taking every precaution and then some to take care of people. It looks like everything there is pretty, pretty locked down, like as best you can, all things considered. Yeah. I mean, one Cuyahoga County, I think starting Friday had a mandatory mask, uh, rule. If you were going out, uh, I, I, I probably shouldn't even bring this up, but screw it. On Carol and John's Facebook page, they had just put up a post saying, hey, you know, it's now mandatory, you know, just letting you know that if you come to the shop, you have to wear a mask. And, like, there were a couple people just kind of not attacking, but being real shitty about it. And I'm like, you know, small business that sells something that you love, 
maybe cut them some slack on something they don't have any control over. You know, Um, I would also point out that, uh, that John, who is, you know, the co-owner, I mean, and runner of the place is a firefighter. So it's like, if he, he understands the importance of protective equipment, like you, like someone that, that their job is safety of themselves and others. You would think that if they're like, Hey, this is what we're doing. We're taking every precaution. Even regardless of what you, you know, if you think it's too much or not, I would default to his, his, um, his opinion about safety. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, they, they did everything possible to make that place as, uh, you know, safe, uh, as possible for interacting in that environment. Cause it's, you know, we've been there obviously it's a smaller store, but we've been there when it's just packed to the gills. Yeah. So, you know, they, they do have uh, marked off on the floor every six feet to give people ideas of where to stand. They have a big plexiglass shield in front of where the cash register is to separate the, you know, the guys running the shop from you when you're making your purchases. Um, I know that they do like a, a weekly, like deep clean on the store. There's hand sanitizer. They have masks like they're doing a great job of providing the service. And, you know, I'm sure that it, it ain't, it, it wasn't free. It wasn't cheap to, to probably upgrade and, and make sure that their store is safe, but they took those precautions. Uh, and, uh, I was really glad to get to go and, uh, look for some comics. It was a, it was a good Saturday. Good. I, um, I have not done any type of like, I think the only um, like quote unquote like I'm just going to go do this is I went to Staples to pick up another office chair, and that's not exactly like you know that's not like a fun trip. It's more like I need a new office chair, and and you know so outside of like a grocery store or like a Home Depot when we were moving, that's the first time I set foot in any other place, and it felt like weird. But I'll give you I'll give you the um, the opposite of your nice like fun Saturday on Friday morning around eleven. I was off and I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to the grocery store, get food for the weekend and everything. I always forget about how the world works. And if my thought is it's the Friday before the fourth and it's the morning, it should be fine. I was completely wrong. It was, um, frustrating to say the least of going to that store and seeing what was going on and just, the, um, uh, the lack of care, not, not the staff, not the store other people and it, it, it brought me r- real high anxiety and I just don't understand how like, you know, I guess science isn't real or something. I don't know. But also like if I'm pulled off of the side, looking at my phone, trying to look up something, then maybe give me a minute before you shove your face into the area right beside me and look at something. We're, we're at a grocery store. I don't know how important powdered potatoes are. I mean, unless like, you know, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I guess you got to get this hot dog buns or the world's over. You know, this isn't, I, it's hard for me to describe, but it was a very uh, frustrating and maddening experience because of you do everything you can to try to make sure that you're doing the right thing to, to protect others in case that you, you might be a person that might be a carrier, you know, whatever. And to not see that reciprocated, and you have to try to function in like a normal quote unquote society is very uh, challenging to me and I get anxiety from it. That's, and this is not, I guess this is not supposed to be the show, but that's, I'm glad Carol and John's 
are doing it right. And I have a feeling that a majority of the people that go in there understand that versus a grocery store. Yeah. The world we're living in right now is, I don't know. I, it's, it's both every day is a new surprise and, and every uh, time I go into a store or someplace open, uh, our public, I'm just kind of shocked at the attitudes and uh, way that people are walking through their life at this time. I, so I, I, I'm trying to be nice about it, but I, I know just, I, it's I, hard I, to be nice whenever. Like, it, so here, I'll give you one. I'll give you like something that's terrible but funny at the same time, so we can jump into other parts of this conversation in this podcast and Moon Night and Moon Night and Moon Night. Uh, last time I was at the grocery store wasn't that weekend. It was. Um, I think Monday I, I was like, cause I, I, while I was like through that, I'm like, you know what? I'm good. I'm going to check out now and come back when it's less crowded. And I did, and it was better. But on Monday when I was there wandering around buying my things, I saw somebody walking around around my age. Um, you know, look like overweight white guy, facial hair, n- no gloves, no mask, wearing a return to living dead shirt. And I wanted to go up to him and be like, at least you're honest. Like at least, you know, <laughs> at least you're being straight up with what you are okay with. Like, you know, that's fine. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, that's kind of, that was what was in my head. Yeah. Up until you said no mask, no gloves. I was like, wait, is he describing me? <laughs> well, I mean, I will say that I was passive aggressive on, um, on Friday when I went and I wore my, uh, uh, Amity Island, uh, sh- like Amity Island welcomes you shirt, which shows a shark fin. Uh, yeah. and, you know, and then I also, I, my, my cloth mask, I wear is half of the Jason mask. And it's like, you know, I think if you see half a Jason mask, that should mean that you should be social distancing because you don't know where the other half of that mask is. Um, but that's just my, my, my brief, brief attempt at like social commentary of like, yeah, the beaches are open on the fourth, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, so anyway, that's, that was the weekend. Otherwise when I was home, I, I did the typical cause I was like, you know what? We're, we usually at the fourth, like you want to have like cookout foods and everything. I bought a shit ton of hot dogs, hamburgers. I did that at home. I, it wasn't the same as grilling, but I wanted to have that 4th of July vibe. So that was fun. Um, I feel like I, I wanted to watch like, um, like the rock or something, but something about that kind of, um, like that raw, raw, like super patriotic, like kind of things. Cause there's that shot in that movie where you just see the jets flying and it's like, you know, the flag and it, Michael Bay is all get out. It's like, yeah, I don't know if I'm feeling that right now. <laughs> so I didn't do that, but that's what I, when 4th of July, I usually want to go and do something dumb like that. Like something so like, like dunderheaded, like America. I just didn't have it in me this time. I, uh, I watched, um, it's funny that you mentioned uh, Return of the Living Dead because I, I watched that on Saturday because it, it takes place on July 3rd. That's right. You're maybe, right. Yeah. Maybe I actually watched it Friday now that okay. I'm thinking about it because I had Friday off from work. Maybe that's why the guy was wearing the shirt or, like when I saw him. That makes sense. You're right. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I'm also going to say that uh, when we talk about the Moon Knight comics that um, the one character looks a lot like the Tar Man with his face ripped off. Just going to throw that out there. Um, so, um, (laughs) anyway, uh, anything else over your, your weekend other than you got to go look at comics and I got to go get mad at people in a store? Not really. 
the one of the other things that we started watching was uh, the HBO the new version of Perry Mason. How is um, that? We we got through two episodes so far. It's it's pretty good actually. I liked the first episode more than the second episode, but. I was surprised. I didn't know what to expect when we were watching it, and it's uh, it's a Game of Thrones style Perry Mason in the sense that like there's you know nudity and swearing and violence, and so it's it was surprising. I'll, I'll put it that way. So, but but much like Game of Thrones, no dragons yet. No dragons yet, uh, and no appearances of uh, Raymond Burr's ghost. So. <laughs> that would. Oh gosh, that'd be terrible and amazing. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I guess the other thing over the weekend that I did do, and this is just worthy of mentioning because I don't normally do this uh, anymore, which is says something more about me, um, is that uh, my wife uh, hosts a book club that they do via Zoom, uh, like once a month or every couple of weeks, and they pick books and everything. It's great. Um, I just she always wants me to be part of it, and I'm like, I do two podcasts a week. I think I'm kind of contented out sometimes, you know. Just throw that out there. Um, but this past time, the book she picked was uh, uh, Ray Bradbury, Something Wicked This Way Comes. And um, I decided to read it, and I finished it over the weekend. That's like this is, this is not a spoiler. This is not a hot take. That's a really good book, by the way. And I think people, if you... It's like, it's like less than 300 pages. It's a, it's a real breezy read. But I, it's been a while since I sat down and read, like, you know, like, good, like, literature... Like in the sense, like I get, you know, it's it's a it's a novel about kids finding like this dark circus and shit gets weird, but it's still really well written and there's some amazing quotes in it. Uh, so I was like, look at me reading books. I was proud of me. I'm actually a big fan of the the film from '82. I think it was made. Uh, it's considered one of Disney's failures, uh, and I don't even think it's on Disney Plus, but. Uh, I would like to visit the film at some point and knowing that the book is that, that short, I've never actually read the book. We may be able to do like a one, two combo maybe in the future for that. Yeah. I think that'd be great. So yeah. Anyway, there you go. Uh, getting mad at people in stores, making, making burgers, uh, watching Jason eventually get to Manhattan. And then I read a book. So that's pretty exciting. I picked up some comic books, and uh, I also made hot dogs, and watched Return of the Living Dead. So, what what is your what is your hot dog topping of choice? Like, what's your go to for your grilled foods? So, it's interesting. Um, up until I'm trying to think back, so uh, my wife's friend, who's from Chicago, we were at his house. I think maybe seven or seven or eight years ago now uh, we were visiting and uh, he was making hot dogs. And he's like, what do you want? And I'm like, ah, I'm, I'm good with just ketchup and mustard. I'm like, if you have onion, that's great too. He's like, what? No pickle. And I'm like, no, he's like, wait, you don't put pickle on, on your hot dogs. I'm How like, dare you? <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, I, it was kind of a foreign idea to me. I don't know. I guess I had heard people doing it, but it just never really occurred to me. And he's like, I'm going to make you your hot dogs. I'm going to put pickle on it. Just trust me. I'm like, all right. I mean, I'm, it's easy to pick pickle off. It's not like it's a big deal. Or it's, anything, it's in the name, literally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I took a bite and I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. So uh, my four toppings of choice for any hot dog are 
uh, ketchup, mustard, onion, and now pickle. I okay. need those four things. Um, what mustard? Like the straight yellow mustard, or do you have? So I, I'll do. Uh, we're out right now of uh, of uh, I, I want to call it baseball mustard. Stadium what, mustard. Gonna, yeah. yeah, stadium mustard. <laughs> We're out of the baseball mustard. <laughs> uh, we're we're out of that. It's not that yellow, and it tastes different. And people throw I'll, balls but, around it. <laughs> I'll do stadium mustard. I'll do uh, like a spicy brown. Most of the time, though, it's just a yellow that I grab because I'm just I don't know. It's what I ate when I was a kid. I mean, yeah, we're all we're all basic bitches. I know, but uh, so the uh, two things: one. I didn't know what stadium mustard was until I moved to Cleveland because growing up where I did, that was not really a thing. Um, I'm sure there was brown mustards, but like when someone's like, do you want stadium mustard? I'm like, what are you talking about? And I was like, this is weird looking. Oh, this is actually pretty good. Like, so now it's my default for everything. Uh, so mm-hmm. I do, I do like stadium mustard. Um, they sell Heinz sells um, not just pickles, but they'll do a sweet relish that you can just like a squeeze bottle to put on things so that i think that's a good way to get your pickle on without sliced pickles so i'll do relish i'll do ketchup and mustard cheese um and i didn't think about doing chili this time but i do like chili on a hot dog yeah i can't remember the last time i've had chili dogs uh usually i i go with my my staples um just because i think it's extra work to make the chili uh because i'm lazy <laughs> that's fair <laughs> uh the other thing though is uh you mentioned the stadium uh mustard and our, the friend that we were going to see, uh, they live in Arizona. They don't have stadium mustard out there. So we had to bring, I think I think Kathy bought like four bottles and brought them <laughs> with us to Arizona. That's funny because um, uh, I have friends that moved uh, from Ohio to Vegas that we saw uh, last fall. And um, my buddy, he's originally from Cincinnati, and he loves Skyline Chili, which for whatever reason, people outside Ohio think it's disgusting, and I think it's perfectly okay. But they don't have anything like that out there. So his uh, his parents will mail him like the Skyline like chili packets where you can like season the chili and things because he has to have Skyline still. So I think I think it's funny that there's those like regional like things that you love that when you go someplace else, you're like, how how do people function without these things? I have a friend who uh, lives in the UK. Uh, she moved there, I think like 2013 or something like that. And she loved Wendy's, I think particularly the Frosties. Mm -hmm. And, uh, in the area that she was in, there was like one Wendy's and like a month after she moved there, it closed. So (laughs) (laughs) there was no Wendy's in her area for a very long time. So she was always like jonesing for certain things. I think, uh, uh, cereals were the other big thing that, that she couldn't get there. Like uh, a lot of their cereals are very like sugarless and bland. They don't have our fun, like, you know, crazy characters in Sugarland uh, type cereals. So could, please, please in the future, as you're working on a science slasher, could you have somebody please eating a bowl of crazy characters in Sugarland cereal? <laughs> I want that to happen. Oh. I'll try and figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. So, all right. Yeah. So, all right. We've, uh, I think we've covered all the, the bases of weekend and, um, a group like grilled food, which is not that far away from fair food, which is a staple here on the show. Um, yeah, I think, I think we're ready to get in some news. Let's, let's just do some news. All right.
everyone. So this is actually good news for a change, um, you know, because 2020 has been a complete and utter like garbage fire in a lot of ways, except for the, the time that we watched Jason X. That was the brief glimmer of hope that we've had for the year. <laughs> Um, Gary Larson, which I, I know he, he's had his own website for a bit and he promised that he would be making new far side comics. Um, because there's a whole thing too, that once he stopped making them, they still had the calendars and things, but, um, people would post far side things all the time. And, and he fought to keep a lot of that down because he wasn't getting credit for it. And I understand that, but it's like also at the same time, there's this notion of like, you're not making this anymore. People love your work. In a weird way, it's kind of a compliment that your stuff keeps getting shared over and over again, and it's kind of ageless. However, that's neither here nor there. He has his new site, and he actually put up three new Farside comics recently. And we're all the better with Gary Larson getting weird and bringing us single-panel comics that are, like, smartly dumb. Yeah, I think it's awesome that uh, he's coming back. I hadn't realized that it was 95 when he closed up shop. So it's been 25 years since we've had a new Farside. Yeah. That's crazy. And um, I remember one of the forewords for one of the collections that was actually written by uh, Stephen King where he talked about how the effect of the Farside isn't just one comic. He's like talking about how he'd like, look, as he was previewing the volume, he would go from like smiling to kind of like, you know, chuckling to like eventually like full on just like guffawing and just laughing. And he's talking about the cumulative effort of the Farside. And I think that's right. Like individual panels are great, but it's almost like this, you get lulled into like Gary Larson's vision and it just becomes greater and greater. The more of it you have around. And I am glad that he is doing it again. His style is so distinct. I mean, that's, I think, you know, a big piece of a lot of the more, I don't want to say original, uh, comic strip, uh, artists, uh, back in the day, but, I feel like Larson has always had his own style that is really not easy to repeat or it's distinct. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would actually say the same thing about Charles Schultz, Charles Schultz, even though there were licensed pieces of the, 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 um, of the peanuts and cartoons and things like that. I don't think that they ever really captured the way the characters look the same as the way Schultz drew those characters. I think, uh, Another, I mean, the most famous one that I can think of right now is Calvin and Hobbes. Um, and you mentioned Larson being upset about, you know, stuff being shared and it kind of growing on beyond his creation. I do sometimes find, like, one of the things that, and it's a pet peeve, but I get really annoyed by Calvin and Arv's fan art. Uh, Cal, I said Calvin and Hobbes, right? I, I feel like I messed I, it up. I know what you meant. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Kelvin and Hobbes uh, fan art. Uh, I, I don't know what it is, but Kelvin and Hobbes is so distinctly Bill Watterson's. Whenever I see something, I'm just like, can you just leave it alone? Yeah. Like, I don't know why. I think it's because it's a very personal comic to him, and he's 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 turned down those deals. You know, he's turned down all the the ancillary licenses and merchandising stuff, and I. I I feel like it's so uniquely him that anytime I see somebody doing fan art of it, it bugs me a little bit. Yeah, you're right. Like, um, sorry, I'm cutting you off. I apologize. There's, um, uh, there's a couple different, um, strip artists out there that they, they credit him for their inspiration and their styles are very similar. And I think that's okay to acknowledge, but there is, and I'm sure you've seen these, like these, these kids books that are, 
um, what was it? Um, Darth Vader and Luke, where it's like Luke is a little boy with Vader and him like having adventures, and it's done very much in that style, of, like Calvin and Hobbes. And mm-hmm. there's, there's a bunch of them, and it's like that's this person's made more money than me and they will. And that's, you know, that like, so I guess maybe it's just me, you know, sour grapes, but it's like, you're taking two things that aren't yours and you're smashing them together and you're asking people to give you money. Right. Yeah. I, 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 I'm trying to think of an example and I'm, I'm, my brain is mush. Uh, I had a rough day today at work. So uh, if I, stammer and stutter more than normal folks it's uh because i've i've been kind of fried uh and not in a good way but uh <laughs> just put some just put put a pickle on it you'll be good it'll be it'll be wonderful then <laughs> but are you like trying to come up with the example of like um people not like so even recently um when the mandalorian hit and hit big there was a drawing that someone did like a calvin and Hobbes, where uh, the Mando had uh, the child on his shoulders, much like, you know, um, Hobbs would carry Calvin around and it was sweet, but it's like, there's still something about like, do we, do we need this? Right. I mean, there's two levels of it. There's, there's the infuriating level where you see, you know, somebody's, you know, a monster truck sitting in the, the Walmart parking lot and he's got Kelvin pissing on a Ford sign. Um, anger. Like those things just anger me, um, but uh, I feel like it's it's and it's weird because it's not like it's not like I I don't get upset at you know somebody doing fan art of say um, Spider Man you know I'm not like Steve Ditko only so I, <laughs> but but it's not it's not Spider Man like looking over his shoulder with webbing shooting out of him and like covering the Batman logo or something you know like disrespectful. You know, I think yeah. the the subverting of the Calvin, which, you know, he is he is a kid that gets in trouble because he's, he has an overactive imagination and is excited about things. I never viewed him as being rebellious. I mean, he challenges things, but he's not like the I'm a pee on stuff. And that, that's that's what Calvin's known for. Nope. Right. <laughs> you know, and I, I, I know that someone even did like a a fan web comic, I think of, of, you know, what Calvin would be like as an adult and with his own kid. And I'm just like, put that energy into your own thing. I, I, I I just, again, I, I feel like, uh, you know, um, Gary Trudeau who did, um, Oh man, Doonesbury. You know, I, you don't see any like Toonsbury fan art, oddly <laughs> enough. But you know, that guy's been doing that strip. I think it's still around. Yeah. Um, but he's got his own distinct style too. And I, I think if it, if it was reversed, and I saw somebody doing a Doonesbury style strip with you know the same look, but we're like, oh, now it's you know characters from uh, Harry Potter. I'd be like, stop, like. <laughs> I'd be yeah. upset by that as well. So, so uh, yeah. I, I guess I, it's just one of my pet peeves. I, I get annoyed when I see somebody doing uh, doing a riff on Waterson without really earning it. I guess no, that's fair. So here I will. I so to bring it back to Larson, 
Uh, he actually, his, I guess his newer images are, he's doing digital now as opposed to physical media, which, you know, um, that, that, you know, here's the quote he said here. He's like, I was stunned at all the tools, the, 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 this thing's offered all the creative potential it contained. I simply had no idea how far these things had evolved. Um, and then he said, perhaps fittingly, the first thing I drew was a caveman. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, I, I also love that he's, he's very open about his creative process. Like in one of his volumes, he talked about like, um, his decision making for like for why he decided to do a cartoon a certain way or an early draft of one, and there was um, there was a, a, a one that showed uh, porcupines at like a dinner party and the, all the hors d'oeuvres are on their their uh, spines and they're all serving off their spines. Like it was like, like, and it's like, you know, kind of dumb, right? The porcupines have bow ties or whatever. And he was like, this was the second take on this. He's like, here was the earlier version. And it was one porcupine talking to another porcupine. And it said, Bob, someone stuck a wiener on you again. And it was just a hot dog on the back of one of the porcupines. And he, and he said, I don't know why years later, I prefer this one. <laughs> well, that's, that's the magic of uh, the far side is, is, is the uh, absurdity of it. The, it goes so out there with its ideas, you know, it's, uh, I don't know. It's, it's one of those things that's kind of hard to really like boil down since he can do anything with it. But at the same time, it's got his own sense of, uh, satire built like into it. That the it, farmers, it yeah, special. the farmers are making fun of the cows building the rocket ship. And it's like, where do you think you're going to go to the moon? <laughs> like, <just> like, what? <laughs> or like my, one of my favorite ones is the, the guy uh, holding symbols and he's in a big symphony and his thought bubble says, don't screw up, don't screw up. And it says it over and over again. And the title of the cartoon is Roger screws up. Like it's so <laughs> great. <laughs> That's perfect. I love that. Yeah. So Gary Larson's making content again, and I think the world's better for it. So not that we need an escape because we need to deal with the, like everything going on, but you know, it's great that he still has something to say and a fun way to say it. And he has direct control over his process, which will guarantee that he makes more like if he wants to. And I think that's fun. Yeah. I mean, um, Bill breath, Berkeley Breathed, oh, man, am I screwing his name up? The gentleman behind Bloom County. Uh, he brought Bloom County back after, I feel like, a 15-year hiatus, and I think he's still doing that digitally well as now well. So uh, hopefully we get to see a return of, of uh, The Far Side by Larson, and uh, he gets uh, you know, a nice long extended period of uh, doing more comics. Yeah, so that'd be great. So, yeah, next story we have here uh, – is uh, it's just the, again dealing with the world we're living in right now? Um, uh, Halloween Kills uh, is the sequel to the most recent Halloween film. Uh, released a teaser today and then announced that it's not coming out until next year. So, what? All right. And then also, Candyman got pushed back to October. The Forever Purge, which I don't like that name, also is being postponed as well. So, uh, Universal, they're movie slate this year has kind of gotten blown up because of the, the whole virus thing, understandable, but the second half of the year, they don't really have a whole lot going on other than Candyman, which I'm hoping that everything's like good enough that I can go to the, th- the theater and support this film. That's the question that I have is, is that, and again, we've talked about this recently with, 
you know my recent trips to the, the drive through drive the drive through drive in. Uh, <laughs> what I, one Back to the Future, please? Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I am wondering though if people are. I mean, clearly there 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 are plenty of people who are uh, engaging in activities that are not always the safest. Uh, and they're not following protocols and they're not taking into account other people. And I'm like, Oh, I wonder how long it'll take for movie theaters to get back on their feet. Maybe it won't be that long. I don't know. Maybe they open the theaters at the end of July and it it's packed. I don't know. But I do wonder as we're seeing more and more dates get pushed back if this is something that, you know, maybe maybe studios should just be like, you know what, we're just going to scrap this year. I, I I don't know. I don't know. Maybe Tenet comes out and it's so big because it's the only thing in the theater that's new. And, uh, you know, it makes even more money. I don't know. I'm, I'm not... Uh, my headspace right now, knowing that, like, you know, uh, even at... You know the local drug drug mart here. I'm running into a lot of people not wearing masks and taking precautions. I have literally almost no interest in returning to the theater at this point. So, mm -hmm. uh, but I, am I in the minority? I guess that's the question. And well, is it smart for them to push? I, I, I yeah. cards on the table. I think it's smart for them to push out. I that's do too. My I, feeling. I think since um, we as a country have not shown the capacity to pay attention and things could we could, like not to not to get back to this we could have been past the majority of this by now however we're not um take that for what you will um so yeah i think i think this needs to be a situation where they work hand in hand with the 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 the, the movie chain the theater chains a little bit because i know they're struggling too because the margins are so thin I know Nolan has been pushing to get ten in the theaters because he doesn't want a VOD release because this, you know, it's it's a Christopher Nolan film, and I think for him to be like, this is being released VOD, I don't, I think he would take that to a blow to his ego. Honestly, um, I don't know. Like I, I, so there was another story too. This isn't exactly where I was going to go with this, but locally here to Cleveland, um, and I don't, I'm not sure how big this chain is. There's a chain of theaters called Atlas that. Um, I think I may have been to once. I don't know. They're a little, they're a little lower end theater. They, they have a lot of second run stuff, whatever. That's fine. Um, they're open now, but they've also recently said, Hey, you got a party of like 25 people, 50 bucks. We'll rent you the whole theater. I'm like, that sounds pretty cool. But then it's like, that sounds really cheap. What are they not telling us? You've got to clean the theater yourself. And <laughs> it. yeah, it's like, listen, you know, like, like, so that, but that also means then too, that, you know, you can rent a theater out and they like, they said for a hundred, it was like, I forget the, the number of people could have in there. And it's like, and then you could choose one of our films or bring something from home. I'm like, okay, I guess I can just make everybody watch, uh, the baby or dangerous men and force people into the theater. And that'd be great. But um, that also then is still, I, I would totally be down for <laughs> yeah, it would be amazing, which, you know, when Mary and I saw dangerous men, we were, we were two of three people in the theater. We saw it, so yeah, <laughs> it was great. Um, but, um, I also, then it's like, you're also asking a bunch of people that just in terms of contact tracing and exposure to sit in a room 
an enclosed space. And it's just, that also seems dangerous to me right now. Not dangerous. Dangerous isn't the right word. Um, risky. Maybe like, like if you know what the, the, the transmission, how it happens, then why, why would you commit to that? So anyway, that's, that's neither here nor there. So Halloween kills teaser dropped today or was it like, was it, it was today. I think it was today. Yeah. Um, cool teaser, really cool teaser. Um, and if this means we have to wait a year for it, fine. But that also means then that, you know, they, if, if there's anything behind the scenes that they need to, you know, they got all the time in the world now to make this the best movie they can make it. And I think that's okay. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, once, once, uh, things are free and clear, whatever year or decade it is, we're going to be, there's going to be a, ma- like, we're going to have a weird, like 84, 85, 86 phenomena of like so many movies programmed against each other that we're going to have a glut of uh, like options. And I think as a movie, movie go, we, we will need to appreciate that when that happens because the slate's going to be so stacked. Like, I think it's going to be a lot of fun once we can go out comfortably and do it. I agree. I, I also uh, wanted to say uh, my wife, Kathy, mentioned uh, with Halloween, she's like, why can't they just like push it to March? And I'm like, I don't want to see Halloween in March. <laughs> and she's like, what? We'll do like, a, you know, like they could do like a halfway to Halloween thing. I'm like, I don't want to. I'm like, I'm completely fine with seeing it in October. I'm like, there's something about because there have been releases that have been not in October. Uh Rob Zombie's remake was, I believe, an August release. I think H2O was an August mm-hmm. release because they were trying to cash in on summer movies. I, I don't have a problem with that so much, but there's something special about seeing a Halloween movie in October. It's yeah. Halloween. It's, it's that many, time. It's sort of How many Christmas movies come out in the summer? Right. You know, like, just <laughs> give Halloween to Halloween. I think that's fine. I think part of the problem was there for a while. The Saw franchise kind of, like... For, for for better, I say lowercase b, and for worse, uh, you know, uppercase w, ruled that weekend, and people were scared of it. It's like, but the 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 newest Halloween film came out swinging, and people dug it. Release it in an October when it's appropriate. Same thing with Candyman. I'm glad it's actually coming out in October, as long as every like again, if everything is like, if I feel that it's appropriate to go to the physical theater and watch that film. I want to give that movie my money. If it comes out on VOD, it's getting my money, but yeah, I want to see Candy in October. For it. Yeah. Right. So yeah. The other thing that I wanted to mention real quick about Halloween kills is, is just uh, that teaser. Jamie Lee Curtis. I thought she was bringing it in uh, 2018's Halloween. Uh, that just short clip of her yelling, let it burn amazing like i just i'm so pumped to see what she's gonna do in this next movie yeah right no, it just it's i love i love teasers that like they literally just give you like i just like like I, I love trailers that just give you like that one hit that just sends your brain in so many different directions i don't need like like to, to go back to earlier six hours ago when we were talking about uh like friday 13th part eight um <laughs> the it, people like i'm not saying uh Friday 13th part eight. It's a great film. It has problems, whatever it's Jason killing people. You know, you, you know what you're getting into. The teaser for that film is so great for that movie where it just, you hear uh, New York, New York, and you see the skyline and you see somebody standing there with their back to the camera. And then eventually it's Jason. He turns around with the machete and then you just see all these people reacting in the city. 
It's so mm-hmm. good. It's so good because it's like it tells you everything what that movie's trying to tell you without showing you a single image from the actual film. And I think it's perfect for what it is. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm, I'm hoping, you know, we've got more than a year now until Halloween kills. I'm hoping we don't get oversaturated with trailers. You know, I'm hoping they keep it light. Uh, you know, I mean, they can put more stuff out as we get closer to the release. But uh, I, I I prefer what they've put out so far. And I'm, I'm good with not knowing much going in. Yeah. I mean, I, I you, you have to believe that that sequence they're showing has to be in the first few minutes of the movie, right? It has to be, you know, even before you get the, like the title card, it has to be that you can't just, I don't know. It just, it's perfect. It's, it's a great teaser. And if we have to wait for the things that we love to go to the places that we love, to see them in an environment, which we love for the, for our safety and the safety of those around us, it's a price. It, it is, it is the smallest price to pay. That's my, that's my statement. Yeah, I mean, I'd rather be safe. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right, uh, last story here. It kind of ties into this. Uh, it's something I just found before we start recording. The, here is the headline. It's from uh, the, the Onion Navy Club. Horror fans are psychologically coping with the pandemic better than most, new study shows. <laughs> um, so a new scientific study shows horror fans are apparently better equipped than normies. I can't say that <laughs> to weather something so dire as a global pandemic. So researchers at the University of Chicago, uh, Penn, Pennsylvania State University, and Aarhus University in Denmark collaborated on um, an as yet peer reviewed study, meaning it's not been officially peer reviewed. That exposure to frightening uh, fictions allow audiences to practice effective coping strategies that can be beneficial in real world real world situations. So, um, it's just, it doesn't say that horror fans aren't hating the pandemic, but rather they're experiencing less psychological distress than those who don't enjoy having, uh, the shit scared out of them. So I think, I think that you kind of get this, this, you get the, um, well primed by if you, if you love horror films and you see worst case scenarios, I think you are better equipped to deal with not worst case scenarios, but things being weird. I, I think that's what we're getting out of this. And I think that's really, I think it's interesting. I, th- I think that's fair. I, I agree with that. I do uh, want to ask her, where is that from? What, uh... what site? Yeah. Uh, if you go to uh, the AV club.com, which is an option okay. of the onion there, there's just, it's just showed up here. Just um, this actually popped it's, up at three thirty. I mean, the onion is filled with fake news. So that's but, why, and I don't mean, Trump's idea of fake news. No, 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 no. The Onion's a satire site. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) The the, the AV Club, which is tied to The Onion, they do film reviews, TV reviews. Like they're, they sometimes, like the commentary sometimes a little snarky, but everything they report is real. And it's, and like I, so like, um, I just thought this was an Onion story that you were No, 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 no. This is a real story. Uh, Okay. the, The AV Club, I go to it daily. Um, uh, it, they, it's unfortunate because of the corporate nature and things happening that they don't do as much TV coverage of certain shows as I would hope. But like um, they recently did a review, someone reviewed all 10 episodes of the new Twilight Zone. Um, I've not read those yet because I need because um, I'm watching them in order for the other show that I do. But I love that there's like an in-depth like look. And then the um, the commenters on here they feel like old internet because the majority of them actually have a conversation. Every so often you get that asshole that's just being a troll, but there's like depth to the conversations. I love the AV club. 
Um, but yeah, like I like that they found this this story, and they have the, it's under the heading because they have these different subheadings. It's called "Great Job Internet." So yeah, they found this. <laughs> um, yeah, like I love the AV Club, but they, they here where does it say here? Um, let's see. Uh, where was the quote? While horror films may help one practice dealing with negative emotions, they do not necessarily offer strategies for enjoying life in the midst of negative experiences. The morbidly curious individual may not see the pandemic as ter- as a terrible negative event, or at least not only as that. Rather, the morbidly curious individual may see the pandemic as an opportunity of sorts. The pandemic offers an opportunity to really understand a dangerous phenomenon. There you go. So I think... I think it's one of those things that if we traffic and or if we swim in these waters, like I like I was telling like just talking earlier about my frustrations at the supermarket. Um, it feels like a zombie movie at times. And I'm not trying to be hyperbolic and trying to be like super sensitive, but it's like if this is a thing that we don't understand completely and science says we don't know the ins and outs of it yet, every single person walking around near me that's not taking precautions, like you have to feel like the what is going on moment? You know, like there's that, there's that panic that like that pity your stomach, you know? And so it's like, does has anybody watched a zombie movie before for the love of God? You know, like, of course. And, and when you look at, uh, you know, just, I, I mean, the fly is always the go-to for body horror, but like, I, that's, I sort of look at people and I look at people differently now. We'll put it that way. Well, I'll, um, even, I'll even say this reminds me a lot of it follows where it's like, what is that person doing? Get away from me. <laughs> like, just <laughs> Get away from me. Old lady walking slowly towards me. You don't know my life. You know, like you don't have a mask on. Get away from me. It yeah. Follows. Yeah. Get away from me. Old lady, sex ghost. I don't want get away from me. You know? <laughs> uh, I, you, I, I will say that I, I, I I don't have any facts to, to back it up, but I, I I probably agree with that. I don't know that I'm dealing with it any better than anybody else, but I do feel like I'm more socially aware, at least uh, when it comes to uh, the situation that we're living in. Uh, and probably a lot of that is influenced by the films and, and comics that I've read. Growing up. Well, no, because it's like, you're already aware of a situation you see, you always see how shit spirals out. And then you also, you learn rules, right? Like, I think those are very important things because you like you you always hear people be like, well, if this is a zombie apocalypse, I'd do this, this, and this. It's like, okay, well, let's let's not call this a zombie apocalypse. Let's just call this the um like some of us aren't gonna make it, but a lot of us will be uncomfortable. So no, don't be an asshole apocalypse. And there and these people's reactions of like, you know, I'm just gonna live in my bunker until this is all blows over and I got my guns ready. No, they're the same people being like, but what about my hair growing long? You that would have happened during a zombie apocalypse, just tossing it out there. You know? Anyway. This got weirdly political. I apologize. That's uh that's the that's my life now. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you have a dissenting view, uh, view, view. if you have a dissenting view or differing opinion, you know, please let us know. But uh, right now, uh, I don't know how we talk about the world uh, and not mention these things. The view is run by uh, the fans from Chicago of the Bears (laughs) and the Bulls. It's like, welcome to the view. Like... All right. So yeah, that's, that's going to do it for news. Um, 
Yeah, let's just uh, let's let's you know what let's let's get into um, less dark things and talk about um, the completely super happy normal character of Moon Knight. And now for our feature presentation. All right, Moon Knight. Um, it's it's character that I have loved forever. Um, I think mainly because he's cool looking and I loved playing him and the Marvel ultimate Alliance game. Like, so, and I realized that that's about all I really knew about him other than sometimes he's crazy Batman. And I think I owe an apology to Moon Knight because I think crazy Batman just misses the character in a lot of ways. I think that's fair. I also think that, uh, as somebody who loves Batman uh, in the way that I do, that dirty, dirty way that I do. Um, <laughs> no, uh, I think that it's not only dismissive of the character, but it filled me with a, I don't want to say a false presumption of what I was going to be reading, but I don't think that it's fair to either character. I, I, I honestly, I, I expected Batman, and when I didn't get Batman, I was like, well, this is this is not what I was expecting at all. So, and I don't know that there's a, an apt, unfortunately, comparison. I mean, maybe Batman is the closest, uh, you know, analogy that you can make, but I was, I was expecting more Batman, and, and I didn't get it uh, from my Moon Knight. Uh, so you got your Moon Knight into my Batman. You got my Batman into your, my Moon Knight. Let's put these two flavors together. Wasn't really a thing that happened, in my opinion. So yeah, no, I, I agree. So here, so just a little background on the character, and then we'll talk. We'll talk more about the the, the various arcs that we've read. Um, trying going into this, uh, which by the way, Steve suggests this as a topic because I do I do like this character. Um, again, I just think it was more of. The name it's a it's it's a it's a it's an equal part like dumb and amazing name for a character at the same time. I love the name Moon Knight. I love that he wears all white. It's like, oh, okay, like that's that doesn't seem like that'd be like a large dry cleaning bill, whatever. Um, but and and from what I've known of him, I liked him a lot. So to dig into this would be great. So this character. Uh, first appeared in um, 1975 uh, in uh, Werewolf by Night, number 32, uh, created by uh, Doug uh, Monin- Mo- Moeninch? Moeninch? Moeninch. I've never known how to say his yeah. name. Um, he's He was a writer. Uh, he, oddly enough, wrote a, a very long run of Batman as well. I've always said it in Munch, but I don't know if that's correct. Okay. but he So, yeah, uh, he ended up writing a lot of Batman after Moon Knight, so I think that's important to mention because he did a lot of the nightfall stuff as well. Um, and then, uh, Don, uh, Perlin, who is the artist, uh, they, they are the co-creators of moon Knight, originally a villain and werewolf by night, werewolf by night. But then they, like, um, the powers that be dug them and they kind of retcon saying, Oh, he was just trying to be a villain to get into this inner circle and everything. And it's like, and he got his own book. Um, I just want to point out that, uh, Doug Perlin also was a regular artist for ghost Rider from 77 to 81. Um, so I think, I think a lot of the style, like I, there's something very distinct about like the profile of Moon Knight that is very, very seventies in a lot of great ways. I know they've updated his look, but it's awesome. I love it. And the fact that this, the, the Doug would go on to write a lot of Batman later 
that also feels very appropriate. And again, the characters are different, but they're not dissimilar in some ways. So, uh, first ongoing series was 1980, went 38 issues. Um, so then after that, um, we should also mention the, the character's name is Mark Spector, uh, who was a mercenary that was over in Egypt. Um, some shit went wrong. He ended up in a temple for the god uh, Khonshu. I think that's how you pronounce, pronounce the name, Khonshu. Bless you. Yes, Khonshu, thank you. And um, as he was at like death's door, um, basically as he was dying, he became the avatar for Khonshu, which is the, the god of the moon and the god of vengeance. And so he became like, so his, his purpose of the world was to deliver vengeance, uh, which is also funny because this other guy uh, wrote Ghost Rider, which that's not dissimilar either <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, so after that, so we got Mark Spector, you know, like mercenary, uh, great hand-to-hand combat guy uh, doing all this. So then in 85, uh, Marvel followed up with a series called Moon Knight, Fist of Khonshu, a six-issue miniseries that established Moon Knight as suffering from schizophrenia due to the stress of his various aliases because he created a couple different aliases in the original run. One was, um, oh, I had, I had the names here. One was like basically Bruce Wayne, like rich, like, um, like, you know, businessman, um, that Stephen Grant, Stephen Grant. And he would make his money, but also use this to fund his campaigns of vengeance. And then, um, he also had another, uh, another, uh, personality or sorry, alias that was, um, uh, Jake Lockley. Thank you. Who was a cab driver that would kind of keep his ear to the ground and kind of be like the street level, like, uh, keeping his, his finger on the pulse of what was going on around him. So these were fake identities that, uh, Mark made up because one, he didn't want his past as a mercenary to, uh, cloud his future endeavors. And he also kind of wanted to put some distance cause you know, he was a paid soldier. He killed a lot of people for money. And now that he's trying to do good and also, you know, honor his God, you know, whatever. So then in 85, they actually made these different personalities as like a fractured personality. So he would have these in his head and that I think makes him, that's the point where I think the character really changes. Um, and not just being a Batman clone in a lot of ways, I think this gives him something very unique. Um, so then at that point, um, there's a couple other runs and then we get to the two books that, um, that Steve had picked up originally that were written by, uh, uh, Charlie, uh, Houston and, um, art by David Finch. And we'll talk about those more in a minute. Uh, and then after that run, he's kind of had these like different, different times rising in the Marvel community. Um, and then eventually in 2011, there was a new moon Knight series that Brian Michael Bendis, who I absolutely adore Cleveland's native son, uh, wrote 12 issues of Moon Knight, which we we read the first six for this podcast. So he's had many, many, many different iterations. But the heart of it is uh, Mercenary, resurrected by Khonshu to be this, this avatar of vengeance. Uh, Mark Spector has died multiple times to be resurrected by Khonshu. Uh, he's great at hand-to-hand combat. Um, he knows what he's doing. Uh, his fighting style was more... Um, I'll let you wear yourself out punching me as opposed to avoiding damage, which is not very Batman like I'll throw that out there. And also he used to have powers, but now he doesn't. And so this character as a whole 
has had a very uneven path through the Marvel Universe. And I think that's a good groundwork to get into this discussion. So was the video game your first exposure to the character? Um, I don't think so. I think I'm, I'm sh- just much like you mentioned at the beginning of the episode, how you kind of saw him in the corners of different comics. I'm like, I was excited to see Moon Knight and Marvel Ultimate Alliance, which was, um, I want to say first generation Xbox PlayStation. And, uh, and so whenever you give me Moon Knight as a playable character, I'm sure as hell going to pick it. Um, I, I think I, I just knew him in passing cause he was a cool looking dude. Like, and I know that sounds very superficial, but why wouldn't you pick up a comic if it didn't have a cool looking dude on it or, you know, do that if you will. Like, <laughs> a hero, hero that, that appeals to you or character that appeals to you. I shouldn't say dude and do that. What, what, what am I like old timey Western guy? <laughs> my memory of the character goes back to my wizard, uh, the magazine for comics days. Uh, I think my first exposure to the character was an article about uh, artist Stephen Platt, who had taken over the art duties for Moon Knight. And then you couldn't find those issues because they were, you know, ordered in low quantities and they shot up in the back market value. And maybe. Maybe now you can find him easily, but uh, Stephen Platt had one of those meteoric rises where nobody knew who he was, and then six months later, he's like the biggest thing ever, hmm. and then six months later, nobody seemed to care. Like I, I, That's not me shitting on Stephen Platt, but like he went from like doing, I think, three issues on Moon Knight and like having this huge following like suddenly happen. He signs with Image, and he did Profit, I think, for like two or three issues. Okay. And then he just like got I, I I don't know if he lost interest or whatever, but like he his art wasn't n- nearly as on time. We'll put it that way. A lot of the image guys back in the day had a real problem with that. Um, and I feel like as quickly as he rose up, the 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 fire around him sort of fell away. Um, but I remember like oh I I don't know who this character Moon Knight is, but I couldn't get my hands on those books, so I never really looked beyond that. And then. Over time reading, you know, if he was, if there was a group shot of the Avengers, chances are he was in the background. Um, that was all of my exposure to Moon Knight before sitting down and reading the three graphic novels that we're going to talk about. And uh, it's interesting to walk into, after reading comics for over 30 years, I have a clean slate with a character to walk in and be like, I really don't know anything about this guy. And once we get into the topic of the actual stories, uh, I feel like it was both a both a hindrance and and a, uh, a benefit in reading. That's so um, I should also mention too that I think I think also I had an introduction to Moon Knight more so with Bendis's Ultimate Spider-Man run because they brought him in there too, and you can tell Bendis has an affinity for the character. So, but that's the Ultimate version of Moon Knight, which means that you can kind of reset the rules a little bit. So I think, and I like, and here, and not to get it, well, we'll talk about business a little bit more later. Um, I think he is very efficient in his storytelling that he gets like his, his through lines are very clear and clean. And I, that's, I think that's why I love him. And also his sense of humor and character are so spot on, but like you get what he's going for. And, um, I don't know. I don't know how else to describe him. So when I read ultimate, like I saw ultimate moon Knight and ultimate Spider-Man, I, I got the character. I got like, like um, it's, it's that whole thing of like, um, uh, you know how like the Marvel films are 
maybe this isn't um, everything. Like maybe they don't follow the plot line of uh, you know the Winter Soldier or Civil War or whatever, but you still get like the broad strokes of why people love these characters or why they work. I think Bendis does a good job of always giving you that that um, that taste of like why he loves something. So that I think that was my first real introduction to Moon Knight in a separate part of the Marvel universe that wasn't part of the canon. That's interesting. I, I, and we'll, we'll, when we get to Bendis, uh, we can have a long discussion about Bendis. I'm uh, a big fan of uh, his daredevil stuff. And uh, I was big into powers when that started. And uh, he's actually written some um, biographical comics about himself. Uh, that so I guess that's autobiographical um, that are amazing uh, that I would highly recommend. So um, and we'll get to Bendis when we get to Bendis. So I, I agree with that. Going into this first novel, uh, this first graphic novel with uh, Charlie Houston, who my understanding is, is that, and this is just based on what I've read, is that he's a very popular uh, fiction book writer. Yeah, he he would describe himself as like a pulp, like crime writer. Uh, so he, he gets down and dirty with, uh, you know, he doesn't like the term noir, but you still get like, you know, the damaged anti-hero characters, uh, like murky situations. You can't trust anybody seem like, and if you, I don't know if you read, um, at the end of the first trade of his run on moon Knight about how he was never really interested in comic book, like heroes, but moon Knight was the one that like rang out to him. So whenever he was reached, like whenever someone reached out to him like, Hey, everything about writing a comic. What about this Moon Knight guy? He's like, hell yeah. Like, like, so I think he always been that kind of guy that was always attracted to like the grit and the underworld. And I think that's where, mm-hmm. I think that's where Moon Knight lives. Keeping that in mind, I think, uh, pairing him up with David Finch, who, uh, and uh, cards on the table here, part of the purchases uh, that I made to buy, these graphic novels was there was a I don't know like a month ago there was a, a sale on Comicsology of some Moon Knight stuff and around that time I had just discovered you know David Finch who's been an artist for 20 years like he's a huge name in the industry everybody knows about him except me I mean I knew who he was but I'd never read any comics by him um, and just a quick aside uh, if you guys are aspiring artists at all uh david finch uh this is how i discovered him recently is he's got a youtube channel where he does uh live drawings and he does art tutorials and just you know uh, he had a two-part series on perspective just recently that i just finished watching and it's great tips and tricks for artists and uh he's another one of those guys uh i think i described jim lee drawing uh, being akin to magic Mm -hmm. he's one of those guys uh so uh, I was like, you know what? I don't have any David Finch stuff. There's a Moon Knight sale. He's done two volumes of it. Clearly, I'm gonna. Uh, this is an easy choice to buy this. And then I saw the Bendis stuff. I'm like, well, I'm gonna buy this too because I'm a huge Bendis fan. With that in mind, I think what you just described about Houston, I think that David Finch is a perfect choice for him to go on Moon Knight with, and it's. He's a he's a big name artist, so I can also see like if they're trying to boost the the appeal of Moon Knight to its readers, you you could do a lot worse than picking David Finch. Fair enough, and I, I like the art in the book. Like, don't get me wrong, but so 
I will say this too. So coming into this character, like we knew, we knew the broad strokes of him having different identities, um, being in service of a moon God. I didn't know to what degree I thought that like, and this is going to go different places and I apologize, but like, you know, obviously Batman wears the bat on his chest because he was afraid of the bat and that's something that instilled fear in him. So he needs people to see the bat, right? Like correct me if I'm wrong. I think that's the, the, the thought process. Um, with Moon Knight, I like there's the whole thing of like, I wear white because I want to see that I want them to see me coming. Like, that's the most Batman of Batman statements. <laughs> like, I love it. It's just like, I don't care. I'm coming for you. I want you to be terrified of me. Who's that guy in that nice white suit that just got dry cleaned? Moon Knight. <laughs> I, I do like that idea. And I think, I don't remember if it's in Bendis' volume that he states it or not, but I do like that idea of like, I want them to see me. I, I don't want to hide in shadows. I want them to know as I'm, I'm coming down for them that it's me who's taking them out. So I, I really like that. And I also like uh, the analogy. And I think it's, I think it's in Bendis's book about him being a guy who leads with like taking punches as opposed to dodging. Um, I, I really like that aspect of him. I thought that that was uh, an interesting tr- character trait, but Going into the first volume, uh, which is the bottom, is the storyline. We see uh, Moon Knight fighting, and this is where things get problematic for me. It's the first issue. It's a new volume one. We see him uh, fighting some guys. It's wonderfully drawn. Action's amazing. But we also get, we learn that throughout the story that Moon Knight isn't what he used to be. Um... And we start to get a little bit of backstory. However, uh, and it's all wonderfully drawn, uh, Charlie Houston, and this is not specific to his writing, because this is a problem I have with a lot of modern comics, uh, doesn't really give us any exposition at all. Um, I, not knowing anything about Moon Knight, would have loved a panel saying that uh, I had powers I don't need more. I would have loved a, I'm sorry, a word balloon. I would have loved a, a uh, I would have loved an explanation of just his, a, a quick summation of his origin. I would have loved to know who the Bushman is. Uh, the Bushman is apparently his Joker, and maybe I should know that. But I, had no I idea. did not know that yeah. reading this first story. I didn't know that that was his biggest adversary. Yeah, whenever yeah, whenever it was said, I you know there was a nemesis. I thought that was just somebody like some like you know whatever somebody from the shadows has popped up and was like, "I'm now your nemesis." I'm like, "Here's my car. I found you on Tinder. I guess we're a match." You know whatever. And I, for the, the yeah. importance that he has later in the story, reoccurring as one of his, I don't, it's not even really a personality. It's his interpretation of what the god of Kanchu is showing him it's very important to the story so i think laying that foundation would have been important it would have uh, been like spider-man just constantly being hounded by norman osborn as a messed up green goblin you know right and i think that you know if you're writing spider-man maybe you get away with that but you're writing moon knight who a lot of people don't know yeah and as as somebody who hadn't read moon Knight ever um i was kind of taken aback by how much wasn't explained um i I think that that's a problem of modern comics i think that 
uh, artists and writers to these days don't really want to go too far in exposition. So they're like, well, we know who we're writing for now. But Stan Lee had an idea that every comic is somebody's first comic. So you have to include these things. And I, I, I I'm going to go off on a tangent here, guys. I apologize. The first comic I ever read was Batman 428. It's the death of Robin. I pick it up. The first, I don't know, six to eight pages is Batman recounting the story for you as he's trying to make it to Robin. So, like, I didn't need yeah. issues 427 and 426. I could pick up that story clean and get everything I needed out of it. You know, with this, a, a number one issue uh, starting a new volume, and I'm it's not explained to me who characters are, I, I had a definite problem with that. I agree, and I know when you texted me about that, I, that, well, I think I also prefaced it with you that since you bought these two uh, volumes that were before, that the, the, these were the earlier ones. Um, this these were 2007 and 2008, I think, uh, and then mm-hmm. um, and then eventually the Bendis series shows in 2011. I, I made it a point to tell you read the read those first before you read the Bendis one because I feel like then, and we'll get to the Bendis thing. Like I think he does a good job of kind of establishing things just to pull the rug out from under you, um, but. You're right. There was a lot of like, just these are the characters. This is what's going on. And you eventually, as you go along, you pick up, I I believe you pick up enough to get what's up, but it does get very disordering the, like the first couple issues, especially the first one, because it is, it's a, it's a fantasy. It's a fantasy in his head of what, of what the good times were and about everything going on, or at least in his mind of what the good times were. And then you see Mark in a wheelchair um, and like, I don't know the shittiest mansion ever. I don't know where he, like a penthouse that still has a Butler. I don't, I don't under, I don't understand his life, but whatever. Um, but then he's like, he has this big moment of doubt. He has the big statue of Conchu behind him. He can't move his legs. And he's like, please just let me serve you again. You don't get that until the second issue in a lot of ways. So it's like, it leaves you very, um, on uneven ground, which I get ultimately when you do a bird's eye view, you don't want to be absolutely certain of Mark Spector's like mental, like health and landscape. I don't think that's fair to the reader coming in blind. Sorry. I didn't want to interrupt if you you were going to keep going. I I think too that, you know, it, I understand because there's a reveal at the end of the issue and who he is now and where he's at. I understand trying to keep that stuff in the background, but there are characters throughout the story who appear that I'm like, I don't know who this is, but I'm never given an explanation. The guy who shows up and delivers his pills to him. Yeah. We never uh, get a good explanation of him ever. We never get an explanation for him except for he's a friend like that's, and maybe that's all I'm supposed to need to know about him. But I also get the feeling that he uh, has a history with Moon Knight simply because I think his name's Crawley. Yeah. I could be wrong. Um, and he's surrounded by flies. You get the notion that he served some aspect of another god. You get that notion, but you it's never spelled out for you. Right. And he also keeps referring to Mark as Jake. And I'm like, why is he calling him Jake? I did not know that that was one of the personalities that he had formed for himself in the previous, you know, incarnation. That would have been information that I could have used in reading this. So it was, it was, 
I guess I look at it differently than probably some people do just because I, 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 you know, try to keep in mind what I would want from a comic book as somebody who tries to make comic books. And look, you can, you could probably throw me on the cross and be like, well, you didn't do this in your first issue and you didn't do that in your, your second issue. Absolutely. But I feel like there needs to be a certain amount of exposition. And I don't think it's just a problem with this writer. I think it's a problem within comics right now because we tend to think so insularly. We think that just people know who these characters are. So why bother explaining them? But a kid who's 10 years old going to the comic book store and he's like, this is a kick-ass Moon Knight drawing. I'm going to buy this comic. Mm -hmm. What's he going to walk away with? That That's fair. So two things. One, I'll mention that I... You you talk about picking up a book and just kind of coming into it clean, like like the, um you know uh, the Batman book you picked up. There was there was a Daredevil run when I was in high school that I tried picking up. It made no sense to me, and I stopped reading it because I picked it up like halfway through. So yes, I agree with that. Uh, my other my other point I was going to make. My question to you is: Did you know about Mark Spector's personality splits or no? Yes and no. I I know that. People had had talked about him as like you know crazy Batman, and that was all I knew really. I didn't know specifically like because it's going to come into uh, a big play with with Bendis's uh, arc. You know that he not only saw himself as different people, but also that he interacts with other people who aren't actually there mm-hmm. and. Uh, I, I don't know that I knew that part of it. I, I think what I had heard was more or less, and, and maybe this happens in later issues. I don't know. I interpreted it as him like taking on traits similar to the taskmaster, uh, where the taskmaster can replicate any sort of, you know, uh, tactical, you know, fighting style that he sees, um, I took it as like, oh, Moon Knight, like he's able to like screw somebody up with, you know, claws the same way that Wolverine does. And he thinks he's Wolverine. And then he's got a web shooter or something and he does things similar to Spider-Man. So I that was the interpretation I had. But I did not know. I did not know what his uh, complete mental state was from before reading this. OK, so so I, I, so that. Your your statement about like he's being called different names, all that that I'm not I'm not saying that you're wrong from a narrative standpoint at all. I just wanted to know your footing going into that. So like I kind of knew a little bit about it. And again, uh, Bendis's uh, presenting of him and the Ultimate Spider-Man, it it literally was like, who am I talking to right now? <laughs> like so, okay. Like they they just straight up acknowledge that like you know he's um what was uh he's Manny Faces. Of uh, you know, of, of superheroes, where it's like, which one am I, am I talking to? The cab driver? Or am I talking to the rich guy? Or I am talking to Face Punch Man? You know, whatever. Um, but um, yes. Yeah, so I, that that's fair. Um, the things I will say about that that um that arc that we read um from Chris Houston. That's his name. That's not Charlie Houston. Sorry, Chuck Houston. Um, things I dug about it that I was not aware of that I think are interesting and and worthy of uh, exploration as a character that separates Moon Knight from Batman is that, um, one of the writers mentioned, like, I think the, the guy who created, um, the writer, uh, Doug, um, Moench or Munch, which I want to mention, by the way, he was a co-creator of Deathlock, which also makes me very happy. And also Black Mask. Didn't know that either. Um, but, 
uh, people asked him, it's like, well, they're similar to Batman. It's this guy who goes out at nighttime. He has a lot of money, has this war. And he's like, yeah, because but Batman specifically is he lost his parents and wants to do right. Moon Knight is is the avatar of the god of vengeance. He he vengeance is like it, it's it's the it's the ideal. It's not like if he sees anything that's messed up, he's going to get vengeance. It does not matter what corner of the world, he's going to go do it. Where Batman can make decisions where Moon Knight is driven to honor his god Khonshu. And there is that back and forth of him being like, is this what you want? I've given you this. Why don't you reward me? Or can you leave me alone for a minute? I didn't expect that back and forth. And I dug it. The comparisons that I keep making in my head are to Daredevil, not Batman. Um, Particularly the bottom. The bottom feels like... And I don't know how much Daredevil you read. I know that you said that you read some in high school and were just kind of put off and you stopped reading. Um, but I, have you read any of the Frank Miller's stuff from the 80s? Not not that I recall. And I, again, I'm a bad comic person. I should have, but I, I don't think I have. Well, it's, you know, you're a person, not a bad comic person. There's no no such thing. Well, no, okay, you, know, I kinda, you know, I'm a person. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, what's funny to me is, is that this feels very much like born again, the first volume again with, uh, of moon Knight. born again. The whole story is basically Kingpin just taking Matt Murdock apart and him coming out triumphant and sort of arising anew. But this story starts without all the interesting stuff of, a villain taking him apart first. It's, it's already happened. We didn't see it. So I, I, I think that what makes born again work is, is just, uh, it's such an intricate story, whether it's about, um, Karen page, who is daredevil's girlfriend, giving up his secret identity to, um, Wilson Fisk using that information to systematically just destroy, everything around Matt Murdock. Mm-hmm. That's a, a really well-crafted story and it's a classic. This feels like they shortcut it. Um, and again, because I don't have any backstory for Moon Knight and folks, uh, if you're listening and you're like, but there, that story exists and it happened in this comic. I apologize. I, I'm going off the, the idea of it. I'm starting with a new number one. There, there was a whole entire arc in, in the background of uh, Peter Porker Spider-Ham that happened that you're not aware <laughs> of. But I, I also look at um, the Joe Cazada, Kevin Smith, Jimmy Palmiotti Guardian Devil storyline with Daredevil, which is similar in some aspects. Uh, but that was one of my first Daredevil reading experiences before going back and reading all the other stuff. And I feel like, you know, and while people will say that Smith was too wordy on that comic, and I think even Kazada says that, he gives everything, he sets everything up. And I never felt like I was out of the loop on the story. And that that's, that's where my problem comes in. And it's hard to not compare this to Daredevil, particularly once we get to the Bendis stuff. And I think that his Bendis and his artist on the... Moon Knight storyline that he did here is Alex Maleev, who was his 
collaborator on Daredevil mm-hmm. during the whole um, revealing of who Matt Murdock is to the world storyline. Um, and I'm, I know I'm jumping all over the place, but with that in mind, we're going to get to the second volume of this story in which civil war is going on. Yeah. And there's definitely a feeling of like, all right, we need to do a tie in issue. So you have to have captain America appear for four, four pages or however many and tell moon Knight that he sucks. And then (laughs) the next issue, uh, if iron man could show up and tell him that as well, like they go out of their way to tell moon Knight that he's not worthy and that's all changed by the time you get to the, the, the Bendis volume, I feel like, in a lot of ways. That's so. fair. But, but that also gave us a moment of him uh, encountering Frank Castle where you just, you, you, you're following Moon Knight and eventually Frank's like, are you talking to me or yourself? Like, it's an amazing moment of like, come on, I hear you behind me mumbling. Are you talking to me? Like, that's a great moment of like, yeah, this is weirdo and white's behind me. I don't... It, are, are you here or are you someplace else? I thought that was great. Uh, but you're right. Like they're trying to do the whole tie in. There was that, that one um, single story of Mark going in to get registered. Um, like with like whatever's going on with the licensing. I thought that mm-hmm. was kind of, I thought that was a cool moment, especially how it turned out. I thought that was cool where the guy who was doing the reading on him uh, was trying to suss out his mental stability and how that all turned out. I thought that was a cool storyline, uh, but you're right. Like they had to, they had to cram that in. They didn't do a good job of introducing the the villain for that arc of um, being uh, Midnight, like the son of Midnight, the like mm-hmm. the, the, the sidekick. I didn't think that was like it's like when he finally shows up and starts doing all this stuff. It's like that's cool, but I don't care about you. Can you please give me something? Like, but whatever. Anyway, um, I I just want to mention again. I'll go back to Kanshu. Uh, when he shows up as the projection of Bushman with his face ripped off the entire time, which I said earlier in the episode reminded me a lot of tar man. I don't know why. Cause I think it's just cause they exposed eyeballs. Yeah. Um, I, I dug that Khonshu, whether it is in Mark's head or this avatar goading him because it wants, it wants worship. And if the fear and knowledge of existence is in its own mind worship. He wants more of it. Um, I liked the moments of it, like doing like the, um, like the Robin Williams genie bits where it would like change outfits and like talk to him or eat popcorn. I just, for a very dire story, there was these corners and edges in the book with this, this God who was a son of a bitch, just being as annoying as possible and letting Mark know that he's going to, piss him off to do something. I I liked those edges of the story. I feel bad now because there is a moment that I really liked in the story. Um, and I can't remember who he's talking to, but the, the basic premise is, is that while he's having this conversation, uh, Bushman as, as the avatar of, of Kanju shows up and he's just like, why don't you just kill this guy? Just, I'm so tired of hearing him talk. I think it's Captain America. He's like, kill him. Is it Captain America? Just kill him, kill him, kill him. I couldn't remember if it was him or Tony Stark. But like, at one point, Bushman looks like the Red Skull, but with a ripped off face, which is a kind of an interesting thing. And he's wearing the freaking Nazi armband. He's like, kill him. Just kill him. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. 
<laughs> oh, I dug that. I just dug how it is in the back of the limo and just like all the, like it, it just, I, I understand it's kind of a riff off of um, the buddy in American werewolf in London where it's like this constant like voice in your head. But if whether or not you believe that Conchu is real, which there's the, um, the one mutant called the profile that's in this, this book that can kind of like physically, like, like not visually, visually look at somebody and assess everything about them. And I thought the art style showing his viewpoint was kind of cool. Um, there's a moment where he's like, whatever Mark is outside the suit, the profile can look at him and talk to him. But he's like, I don't know what it is when you put on your vestments, which they, that's what he refers to him serving Conchu. He's like, I can't look yeah. at you like something's going on. And that gave credence to there's a higher power at work. So I loved that, like that line of like, is it, is it not? I dug that. Yeah. I also quite enjoyed the fact that, uh, uh, and this is going back to the first volume. We find out that there is sort of a committee that is trying to, I, I still don't know that I understand what their ultimate goal was, but they're trying to control Mark in certain ways and they send Taskmaster after him, um, and it's premature, and Taskmaster loses. But he basically, he has a bat wing, which is essentially a moon-shaped airplane. Um, and, like, he's in, he's in a suit, and, like, he's in a lot of pain. That's um, called the moon I, copter, I, by the way. I think it's what's actually called the moon copter. Is it the moon copter? Okay. <laughs> I love it. Uh, but I like the idea that like he's so fed up at that point and he realizes that his physical abilities are limited. He just flies it into the side of the building to take out <laughs> as many of the committee as he possibly can. Yeah. I really thought that was a, a, a smart uh, approach to the story. And uh, it comes up later where I don't remember if it's, if it's Captain America that he's talked to or Tony Stark, but he's like, yeah, maybe the best solution isn't to just fly your plane into the side of a building. You know, it's. Uh... <laughs> but I like that Conchu's like, I don't like this car. It doesn't instill fear. We need, we need, we need a moon copter. And it's like we just flew it in a building. It's like I know people respected that because <laughs> <laughs> there's even the bit earlier in that that arc where he talks about his friend uh, Frenchie. Like he's like, when I said to him, this needs to be a certain like shape. He's like, my friend was up, like, was frustrated, but he saw it as me being like, basically like being like, well, he's just being weird, but he's like, this is me, you know, showing praise, showing worship and honor to my God. And it's like, that's interesting to me. That's, that's just like, it's all like, I, I don't know. Like, I just didn't expect that point of it. Right. So I thought that was cool. Um, and Kanshu being a dick, I thought it was cool too. Cause that way he's not this complete, like just serve me and all will be well. It's more like you don't love me good enough. Now I'm going to show you, uh, the face you ripped off of your, your nemesis as I eat popcorn, deal with it. I, I, I dug all that. Um, I came out the other end of those two volumes, um, with some interesting things that I kind of dug. And there's also the notion too, that they talked about how they keep asking. It's like, didn't you used to have powers? He's like, I used to not anymore. And they're like, well, what were they like? And he's like, depending upon the phase of the moon, I was just better. Is how he basically boils it down. He's like, not anymore. So he's like, I'm just a regular dude that just gets the shit beat out of me, which that's taskmaster specifically says, 
I don't, I don't want to think about your fighting styles because you would rather take the punch, which is like, that is, I, I think, I don't, I don't know of another character that would like their fighting style is just punch me. If I can get closer to you, I don't care. Like Wolverine, maybe, but Wolverine has a reason that he can get away with that, you know, but Mark's like, I don't care. Hit me. I'm, I'm going to beat you one way or another. Even if you break me in two, I'm going to win. And I've never, I don't think I've encountered another character that just doesn't care as much as he does. I think that's fair. I also immediately think of uh, uh, Rocky three. Uh, that's sort of Balboa's approach to beating uh, Mr. T uh, or clever Lang more appropriately. Uh, if you're nasty, sort of like, yeah. He just sort of tires him out and he's like, you know, you're not so bad. He just basically dodges a lot of the times, but he's also like, he takes a couple punches and he's like, yeah, go ahead, do it. And he just lets him tire himself out and then he beats him. So, uh, that was my analogy when I was reading it. I was like, oh, it's, it's a little bit like <laughs> Rocky's approach to Clubber Lang in the end of Rocky three. Yeah. Cause even whenever he goes to face off against Taskmaster in the committee, when he goes to stand up in the suit, he starts to fall down and it takes uh, Marlene to pick him back up again. Do you just see that Mark is just, he is just broken as a human being, but he's like, well, I got to do this. I can fly. I'm going to fly this, 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 this crescent shaped device into this building and we're going to figure it out. Like, like I've never <laughs> like, you know, like just screw it. We're going to figure it out. Um, so I dug all that in the arc. I dug at the end of the, like before we got to the annual that was packed in the second volume where it was still implied that like he could have access to his moon based moon face powers. If he would just believe enough, like it was hinted at, right? Like, just, just believe, just give yourself to me. But there's this like, kind of like a um, love hate relationship that he has with Khonshu where he's like, screw you. I don't need you. But then at the same time, he's like, we do need to work together. Like that feels, that feels very spawned like to me with him in the suit a little bit, but mm -hmm. I like the exchange. I like that notion of like, I, I can, I can do this without you. I'm not going to be as successful you, you want blood, you want vengeance, help me out. You know, I, I just thought, and also let's, let's take a moment to, to, to recognize that this was a, a book published by Marvel that the language was there. It was all pound signs that it was very easy to fill in what these guys were saying, <laughs> like what was going on. So this is, this is as far as you could have gotten before it was a max title. I, I would say you're right there. Um, I wanted to go back though. I, I, I wanted to mention no. his girlfriend, Marlene. Yeah. Um, that was one of my bones of contention with the story is that I don't know her history with, uh, she literally serves no purpose other than to be the ex-girlfriend. And there's at no point, and she keeps, you know, telling him to like, leave her alone. There's at no point where I'm like, why does she, why would she like him? He's kind of horrible in a lot of ways. So, um, I, 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 there's an exchange that happens later in the book where he shows up and he's just like completely shitty, shitty to her, her new boyfriend. And maybe that's realistic. Uh, maybe that's what they were going with there. But like, at no point did I ever think that she had any sort of, it, it was, 
it's a small thing to get hung up on. But I just I viewed her specifically as she's the girlfriend, and that's it. And that 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 bothered me a little bit. Yeah, and there was the whole bit too where her current boyfriend was like, I know. Like, I know I'm not as exciting. And she's like, listen, she's like, I've had a lot of shit happen to me. She's like, exciting doesn't like that doesn't work. And he's like, well, you know, I know you're distracted, but maybe you just need to get used to like someone that isn't as extreme of this. And then they got mugged and then she used her keys as, you know, stabbing weapons in her fist and just destroyed everybody and then started making out with Mark later. So I don't know issues, but you're right yeah. up to that point, you know, Mark's broken she clearly has issues as well, but I don't think it was telegraphed very well. The one thing I did, I also want to point out too, is I forget the gentleman's name that he goes to the diner to talk like Frenchie goes with him. And I, 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 I know Frenchie doesn't like to be called Frenchie. I'll, I'll, you know, sorry, Frenchie. Um, which by the way, there's a character in the boys called Frenchie. So I don't know if that's a callback to Moon Knight or not, whatever, neither here nor there. Um, they go to the diner and they're talking about the one guy that was lost in war and the mother's mad, but the brother, of, of the fallen soldiers there. And, and Mark's like, Hey, what did you do in the service? He's like, I used to be a pilot. He's like, Hey, you want to fly this weird Crescent? And he's like, sure. Right. Uh, there's a bit later wherever he is in the moon cave. I don't, what do you, what do you call that? It's the moon cave. It's, it's, it's the moon night cave. It's the bat cave. And he's doing <laughs> servicing on um, the, you know, the moon copter and Frenchie shows up and they're talking for a minute and the guy goes over and he's like, look at this. And he pulls up a, a, um, a sheet and there's a cab underneath. And it's, 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 it's hinting at Jake. Like, he's like, look, he still keeps us around too. I liked, I liked that they kept like hinting at like as much as Mark is saying he's not crazy other than believing in the moon God of vengeance. There was these edges to things that could still pop up that from what we read of that arc, the, the, um, the Charlie Houston one, we never got the multiple personality portion of it mm-hmm. other than we got the notion that he was not well and that a moon God might be talking to him. I, I, I still like that the other aspects were still out there on the edges. I, I thought that was kind of cool. I think the thing that really stuck with me though, is, is that I still don't know who that character is who died that they went to see her. She's running a restaurant uh, we we don't know who I at least I don't I don't know who the character was that they're referencing who died other than her son and his brother. Yeah, so that's fair. I wish there would have been a little bit more uh, exposition there, and, I, and that's my overall beef, uh, particularly with the first two volumes. I, I could you're, I could you're hold a moon that. beef. You have a moon beef. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I I can hold it against Bendis as well, but Bendis I think is a little bit better at, at writing dialogue that conveys those ideas without doing exposition. And I think that's where I ran into issues with the first two volumes. That's fair. So, um, I have nothing else to say about those two volumes. I I'm glad that we read them. I think the annual was kind of cool with the story called, what was it? Ladies night, I think, or girls Mm -hmm. night out. I thought that was cool. I thought that was a really interesting perspective of people dealing with moon night. I dug that story. Um, but yeah, like I'm glad that I read them. Um, I don't know if that's the best introduction to the character. And I guess I still don't know what is, but, uh, unless you have other things you want to talk about the Houston, uh, the, the two volumes are read. No, I mean, uh, the only thing that I'll say is that, uh, you know, I, again, I haven't read many moon Knight uh, 
the comics. I will say that uh, visually, I think David Finch does a hell of a job of making him look as cool as possible. So that's probably because it's my first exposure, real exposure to the character. That's probably going to be the thing that I'm going to hold up. You know, if I read more Moon Knight in the future versions of him, because I think that he just did a fantastic job with the art. That's probably what I'm going to hold it up against. Um, But um, Alex Maleev, who's going to be the artist on the the Bendis uh, story arc, has a very distinct style, and it's completely opposite of the style that uh, um, David Finch has. So um, I think that that helped because I wasn't comparing because it was an artist that I was familiar Mm -hmm. with. And I knew going in what his, how he draws things, I guess is a better way of putting it. So, um, yeah, let's go into the third arc, which uh, to my understanding is another new volume one. It It doesn't have a title to it. It's just Moon Knight by Brian Bendis and, uh, Alex believe. Yeah. So if you go and look at like the, like the moon Knight page, it talks about like the different volumes. So this one, this one's later. So yeah, we're going to talk about the, uh, the Brian business one. Uh, but before we do that, everybody, it's time for, you broke the seal. And now we get into, uh, Bendis's arc, um, which is, I found out that, um, we read the first six issues of his, uh, moon Knight series, which only lasted 12 which is a bummer because I'm curious as to where it would have really went, but I also kind of now want to read the other six. Um, when we talk, I talked about business earlier about how he has an efficiency of storytelling. He also, he also has a way of acknowledging the meta of anything going on. Um, and the, the way this sets up is you talk about not having a footing with the character. The first few panels is the origin of a moon Knight, but then it gets the rug pulled out under, under you because you find out it's a TV series that Mark Spector is producing, which I thought was pretty fun. It's a complete total shift from what is ha- what is the previous two volumes that we read. And I don't know if they put right up next to each other. I, I unfortunately don't, I don't think so, but it is a complete just, uh, uh, what's the word? I was going to say justification. That's not the word that I was looking for. Uh, juxtaposition. It's an odd juxtaposition because it's a completely different tone from the two volumes that I just read. And and that's fair. Um, but I like when I like I said to you previously, like uh, before recording, was like read those other two first, then read this one because I feel like some of the some of the things that you might have been frustrated with or had questions about. I think I think Bendis does a good job of kind of establishing and kind of either not hand waving, but like getting you into the world. And then he also still finds a way to mess with your perception and it Mm -hmm. felt more welcome. Um, so I'll say that, um, I, I, I'll just, before we get into this a little bit more in full, I I thought this was was a fun read. I don't know if, I don't know if moon Knight needs to be a fun read in the sense of, like laughing and having a good time. I don't get the vibe from the character. However, one of my favorite moments of recent comic book reading though happened because of the series. And I posted that screenshot on Facebook. I business knack for a punchline is so good. I don't know if I need it for moon Knight, though. I applaud his approach to this though, because having read his daredevil, he keeps daredevil in a very dark place for okay. a very long time. Um, uh, and 
I think that, uh, and I know that he took it, took it from somebody else and he's credited this uh, this person, but I think the piece of writing advice that I've heard Bendis give out multiple times is, is put your character in the place they'd least like to be. Um, and he did that with Daredevil. And it just, it was one of those things where like the problems kept compounding. Like every time things got a little bit better, they just got 10 times worse. Okay. That makes sense. Um, so I, I kind of appreciated that he didn't do that all over again, particularly having just read those other two ish, uh, volumes, uh, seeing that he had sort of a fresh approach to it. I, I thought was, uh, I thought it was good. I, I thought that, um, while not, uh, well, I, I don't want to say it's a complete 180, uh, shift in tone. It's a completely different tone than the, the previous two volumes. Um, I do think that, and again, people can correct me if I'm wrong, please do let us know on our Facebook. Um, uh, I, I'm looking at having read the three volumes that I have of Moon Knight. I view the character closer now to Hawkman for DC. And the reason I say that is, is that Hawkman is this guy who has had a bunch of different creative teams go in and monkey with him to try and figure out what the best tone is for him. And I'm getting that sense with Moon Knight is it's a lot of people like trying different things with a character and trying to find what that definitive version is. Um, and I thought that Bendis's was sort of a step in the right direction of trying to find that character. That's fair. And I think that's the thesis statement for Moon Knight as a whole is with all the various creative people involved trying to find a way through it. it it's, it's almost painfully obvious when you're dealing with a character that has um, the notion that they can't pick a personality and they're split amongst many that the creative decisions almost amplify that. And I think that's, I think, I think that's what I get from this. I'm not saying I've not enjoyed everything I've read. I, I enjoyed the other two that we just talked about the, the Houston stuff that like, is it maybe a little too grim for my tastes at times? Sure. But I think the grimness, it's like Mark's not a character you give a shit about. And it's just dark for dark sake. Like I need a reason to cheer for him. I didn't get a lot of that in that run. Mm-hmm. A lot of that I dug. I, I thought there was a lot there that I, I liked a lot, like I've already outlined. This one, uh, Mark has, he has a personality. He has a sense of humor. Um, I will say this. Um, you've read Bendis' run on Daredevil. I need to. Mm-hmm. My my familiarity with Bendis is Ultimate Spider-Man, um, which I absolutely adore. I got so many shades of ultimate Spider-Man from this with like the, yeah, shit's wrong and things are messed up, but it's a romp. And I feel like a lot of this was a romp. And, um, if you go back to that earlier volumes, we're talking about how moon Knight took it personal when he got demoted to the West coast Avengers and Hawkeye made fun of him, like Hawkeye, you know, arrow guy made fun of him. Um, and then suddenly Mark is now on the West coast and he's like, you know, being this producer, making the, basically that he's basically making the Disney plus series of his life. Um, and he's doing all this and he's like bankrolled. Um, and then, um, the Avengers show up and say, Hey, you're out here now. This is your city. You need to figure it out. Like that felt kind of like turning on its ear where 
the West Coast Avenger things was demotion, but now he's the guardian of LA. That's the vibe I got. And then having Captain America say, this is your duty, and then having Spider-Man be like, yeah, this is the right thing to do, and have Wolverine say, stab everybody, you know, whatever. That's what Wolverine does. I thought that was an interesting jumping off point because he was called away from like his big like party that he was at and everything. And, but I don't know how to describe it. Like I had a lot of fun with this and I think this would be, I think this would be a fun ride. Um, I, but I kept getting, I kept getting more Spider-Man out of this than I did Moon Knight in a lot of ways. I can understand where you're coming from with that. I, I think for me, I it wasn't really a problem, but it was definitely a a big uh, change from the the previous two volumes. Was that nobody seemed to like Moon Knight in the the two volumes that we read of Charlie Houston's uh, Captain America, Tony Stark. Um, I feel like he meets up with a third Avenger at one point in that storyline. Uh, and that they're all just basically like telling him that, that so much so that they're like, you're not even worth like worrying about the registration. Like uh, in this they're and again, it's, it's Spider-Man Wolverine and Captain America, but at least Captain America seems to have some sort of respect for him here. Mm-hmm. And he does kind of point out, I think in, in Bendis's run that he's like, well, he's kind of crazy, but it seems to be working for him. Um, <laughs> Uh, so I enjoyed that aspect of it, but it was such a, a change from what I'd read in the previous two volumes that I was like, well, it doesn't really sync up. The one thing that I will say that I really enjoyed with this, this volume is, and again, this goes back to my Daredevil uh, reading, is um, they introduce Echo into this story, who's a character created by David Mack and Joe Quezada who I love and I, there hasn't been much done with her. I guess there probably has just stories that I haven't read, but I was, it was such a fresh uh, a breath of fresh air to have uh, her appear in the story. Um, so so you don't, what's her deal? I don't know echo. So her deal is, is uh, her, her origins tied into the kingpin. Um, she's deaf and she has, She's sort of uh, similar to, uh, well, she's obviously sort of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, similar to, to, to Matt in that she's dealing with a handicap and has uh, overcome it. But she has these amazing, she's uh, similar to Taskmaster in the sense that like she can replicate anything. But she can watch a video of uh, Bruce Lee fighting for a half hour. And then suddenly she can fight like Bruce Lee. Okay. So very similar to Taskmaster in that uh, department. But her and Matt Murdock had a rom- romance at one time, and uh, I just thought she was an interesting visual. They don't really show her in the same style costume um, in this as she was in Daredevil. In Daredevil, she's got like uh, a face paint on her face in the form of a hand and she's got like feathers in her hair and it's an interesting design. Maybe people deem it now just two nineties, but uh, I really like that design. Um, and she's a, she's a really fun character. And I think that she's, she's just as damaged as Matt Murdock, but she doesn't let her bring, bring her down the way Matt does. Okay. Uh, so I was really happy to revisit her um, and see her doing cool stuff in this story. So, um, good. Thank you for explaining that because like it, her, 
her power set was not really ever explained other than she was a badass and she had, she mm-hmm. was capable of punching uh, Mark in the face five, six times after you tried to kiss her. Like that's the mm-hmm. one thing I got from her uh, that. And she also is, uh, you know, um, going undercover as a stripper, <laughs> like, which right. like that, that whole sequence is really fun. Not because of the strip stuff, but because so, okay. All right. I'm going to throw this out there. Here, here it comes. Do you know why they are called spoilers? <laughs> First issue or so, uh, when you have um, Mark talking to Captain America, Wolverine, Spider-Man, they're all treated like they're out on the West Coast being like, hey, you need to take care of this. And But it soon becomes apparent that they're not there, and now that they're the personalities that he's dealing with, um, which I thought was an interesting twist. Because um, later on, when he's talking to his, uh, his special effects guy, who is a former S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, that guy's like, like, what's up with you? And he's like, I hear voices. He's like, and he's like, they mostly tell me to do good things. He's like, all right, that's good. <laughs> like, it was easily hand waved away, but it's like, yeah, you got Captain America in your ear. You got Wolverine telling him to kill them all. And you got Spider-Man just being Spider-Man. Um, there's a bit though before, uh, so you get this whole notion that like his, his, his mind is telling him something's not right. Go sniff it out. There's a kingpin on the West coast. You need to find it. So I, I, I wonder where that breadcrumb started that his mind's telling him to go do it. Fine. That's the fair enough way to start off this thing, whatever. And he's the guardian of LA. Right. Um, and I, um, and he's right. He's right. A lot of times where he goes and finds, uh, Oh, who was the big dude on the boat? I can't remember the, the, it was, a, he was, he was a C lister bad guy, but whatever he gets, he finds an Ultron head and all this stuff. And so there's a bigger mystery at hand. But then he goes to investigate the strip club that Snapdragon uh, is the the lead on. And I like the whole conversation of like, who should go in? And then Spider-Man's like, he should dress up like me. And everyone's like, and Captain America's like, that's not a bad idea. So then you get this moment of Mark, like Moon Knight dressed up as Spider-Man in the middle of the strip club. And I didn't notice that like until later that he had Wolverine claws. Um, and he was doing this fighting and Snapdragon's like, I fought Spider-Man. I don't know who this guy is. <laughs> like, and I, and I loved it. Cause it's like, they're like, I don't, this guy's insane. What's going on here. And then he pull off his, his uniform. And it's like, there's another uniform under this uniform. I never put two and two together until later that his props master made him Wolverine claws and made him a Spider-Man outfit. Like it's all eventually figured out later that this stuff's been made for him because he has the money and there's no questions asked. I dug that. Yeah, my I I got a good chuckle out of the the the, the one person being like, "Hey, uh, there's a costume underneath his costume." It's just the way it's written. Like I I, I give Bendis so much props. Uh, he writes in the way that I can read stuff, and like I don't know, I I can't say that I'm hearing it in his voice, but I can hear it in characters' voices, and uh, I think that's one of the real gifts of uh, the way he writes dialogue. Yeah, no, his dialogue's amazing. So the big tip off is whenever Echo calls um, Carol Danvers in New York, um, Ms. Marvel, sorry, Captain Marvel, and my apologies, and was like, hey, uh, Moon Knight was an Avenger. And Carol's like, yeah. And he's like, has anybody ever uh, dated him? And there's that single frame of Carol asking everybody in Avengers Mansion. She's like, hey, has anybody ever dated Moon Knight? And it's like, everybody says no, but Spider-Man's like, a little bit. Like it's my favorite. Like. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> I also like the fact that because I didn't know that Echo was like uh, barely a, an Avenger for a little while because she uh, she's Carol's like who is this? She's like I was an Avenger for like a minute. And then she's Carol's like, like okay. also like you're deaf. How are you using the phone? And but yeah, I just I, I when when you find out that there's more going on in Mark's head, like it's like okay, this this is the Moon Knight that you you know like is this reality? Is it not? That's fine. Like this is this is his world. Um, like I said, I had a lot of fun with the story. I had a lot of fun with the uh, subverted expectations. Um, the writing the writing is like whip smart and crisp, and and the way he, um, like takes down the main villain is such a like gut feeling go for broke moment that feels in line with the character of like, yep, this is what's going to happen. We're going to do this. I dug all that. Um, I'm just saying that I feel like maybe, I don't know. Maybe I've been spoiled because we have a lot of fun characters that I don't need. I don't need a, I don't need a fun moon night. Like, like I, the same thing is like, I don't need a fun Wolverine. Like he's constantly has like his, his history and the weight on the weight of the world on his shoulders. I don't need a romp from Wolverine. I don't need a romp. I, I guess you could tell me that sometimes Batman can be fun. And I agree with that. Cause I feel like sometimes the pendulum swings way too far the other way, but I don't need, I don't know. I don't need a, um, I don't need constantly smirking while reading a Batman story. And I don't know. I don't know if I need that for moon Knight. I'm sorry. My pause is simply because I'm trying to, I agree. And I, I, I feel like this podcast sometimes can just be too much of, I agree. I agree with you. I agree. Yes. Um, at the same time. <laughs> it's almost, I, uh, it's almost as if we were friends for a reason and we have vested interest in things. I don't know. It's so weird. The, the, the funny thing is, is that the things that I enjoy about certain characters, like one of my, favorite issues of Wolverine and this is it, it, it it's funny because I think of this being the main story in the comic and I just recently read it in the, like last year and I found out that this portion of the story is like maybe four pages of the 22 page comic but I enjoy the, the places where characters get to be a little bit more offbeat um, there's an issue of Wolverine where um, he is he ends up running into Juggernaut at a bar, and Cannonball is getting hammered at the bar. I don't even remember what Cannonball is upset about, um, but there's this like just great two page spread of like uh, Juggernaut standing up against uh, at the bar, and like Wolverine's on top of it. And he's barely as tall as Juggernaut. Um, you know, it's it's all about like him trying to like save cannonballs dumbass because he's drunk. And so I enjoy those types of offbeat stories. I, that's so, fine. Like as a one-off, I get it. Like there, there's definitely, I'm sorry, I'm cutting you off uh, during, no, um, okay. during the amazing Spider-Man run when uh, J. Michael Straczynski was uh, writing it, there was a whole bit where Peter Parker was trying to get to LA to repair his marriage with his wife that he ends up running into captain America who is like out of costume and like shit goes sideways in this airport and they're both trying to solve everything while cap is trying to give him relationship tips. It's, mm -hmm. it's fun. You know, it's like considering that like Parker's life is falling apart and then like he's close to divorce. You have Steve Rogers giving him like marriage advice. Like I get like, I'm not saying you can't have place and time. Absolutely. I just don't know if, I don't know, I guess it's, I guess it's a personal preference. Like I, I, I 
I read comics to enjoy them. However, I think with all media, there's different reasons why you enjoy different things. And I think, I think I kind of want the pendulum to swing with Moon Knight to be somewhere squarely in the middle of Bendis and Houston. I think I need that. I think I need more, more footing. I need more grounding, but I need more street level and I need more grit, but I don't need it to be as, um, I don't know. There's something a little off about the Houston run. And I'm, and I'm saying I love Bendis's writing. And I thought the writing on this was like, it was great. You can, you can kind of see why maybe this wasn't the crystallization of Moon Knight as a character. So I wonder as a TV series, how they're going to approach it. I don't know if we've seen a definitive version of this character yet. And that's, and fair. I, that's yeah. unfair because I've only read three volumes of him now, but I, I go back to my Hawkman analogy. I don't know that I can name like a definitive version of, mm-hmm. of Hawkman with Batman. You can easily point at, you know, any number of runs with Superman. You, you could, you know, point to any number of runs with Spider-Man. You can run to any, you know, and, and definitive maybe shouldn't be the word that I'm using, but like, Characters who are so at ease with who they are that like talented writers are able to make them uh, make interesting stories with them that people define as definitive. I don't know. I feel like Moon Knight is just he's still clay that people are trying to mold and figure out what that thing is. Um, You're right. And I agree with that. Um, So I don't know. Like, I, I think I think that there is enough fertile ground. And I think there's enough of a sandbox that somebody can come along um, and do something. I will always keep hoping for that definitive vision because I think it's a cool character. Uh, I love the look of him, and I will always, I don't know, I love Moon Knight um, as as flawed as he is. And I get that that's kind of the point. Um, I feel like Marvel, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong because I probably am, they have analogs. Oh, I will. They, you're right. They have analogs <laughs> to like, he's not Batman, but he has, he's, he's not far, far afield from Batman, much like the century isn't far afield from Superman, but it's like, what if Superman, but like completely crazy, you know, like I think those are fun things to explore and some good stories. And maybe if Moon Knight's partnered up with somebody, maybe if you give him, I don't know, I don't know. Just, I think, I think you can do, I think this is a cool character worth exploring. Clearly Disney does too. Cause we're going to get a series of it. And I, I wonder how they're like, it would, it would be a disservice to the character. If you shied away from his, his own, uh, shattered version of reality. I think you could, I think handle the right way. You could get like, like, um, and, and this is, this is a, this is a weird poll. And you could tell me if I'm wrong about this too, like the max existed in like two worlds, right? Like where something's going on or this guy is just an idiot that glues his hands together. Like you can have, you can have these interesting stories, you know? And I think Moon Knight is a character that is worthy of approach, um, appreciation and understanding. And then man, this Give me the good. I, I need that one that scratches all those itches that it's like, this is this guy. I'm not smart enough to tell you what it is, but I'm hoping somebody is out there that can do that. 
is the Disney Plus show, it's going to be animated, right? It's not a live no, action. No, it's a live right? action. It's a live action Is it show. a live it's action? Supposedly, okay. yeah. Supposedly. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. I, I, I know that, I mean, I, like everyone else, I know the big ones. I know of like WandaVision and... Um, Falcon and Uh, and Winter Soldier, and then Loki series. Um, I haven't really heard much about the Moon Knight series, so I'll be really curious to see how they handle um, Moon Knight. Um, Same thing with She-Hulk too. It's like, is she going to be more of the lawyer or what? Like, I think, I think that's also fertile ground to get interesting with a TV series. It's live action. And Disney, if you don't hire Gina Carano, you're making a mistake. Oh, like the, the yeah, her and other, everyone else is like, what about Allison Brie? And I'm like, I would be okay with that too. But Gina Carano needs to be She-Hulk. God damn. Yes. I do please. love me some Allison Brie, so yeah. I guess that's a good choice. Yeah, too. yeah. But no, Gina Carano, like, <laughs> no, that's, I'm good. You're done. I'm done. Grina Carano. I need her to be She-Hulk. <laughs> well, I'll be curious to see who they, they cast as, as Mark Spector because he's... He's he's very non-distinct in a lot of ways, um, and I, that was actually one of the other things that I was going to mention visually is is that uh, throughout the entire David Finch run, he's drawn with like a scar over his eye. Mm-hmm. Doesn't have that scar <laughs> in uh, any of the uh, Bendis issues, so I'd be curious to see w- w- what kind of visual they're going to come up with for him. I also even I also wonder if like if they would go further enough to where everything has to be moon related to his worship of Kanshu, where it's like, Hey, um, what kind of, what kind of pastry would you want? He's like, do you have crescent rolls? No. Well then screw you. I'm burning this place down. Or, <laughs> Hey, Hey Mark, what would you like for dessert? Moon pies. We don't have them. I'm burning this place down. Like I need, it makes me wonder, <laughs> you know, like, like what's your favorite food? Cheese. Cause you know why the moon is made of it. Like I need, I need these things, you know? Um, yeah. Put Paul in charge of the Disney folks. <laughs> and it would it would fall apart immediately. I get it. <laughs> but I feel like if you would have gotten Aaron Eckhart like twenty years ago to play Mark Spector, it'd have been perfect. But he's a little too old now. Yeah, I mean, I guess in well, yeah, he's supposed to be late thirties in the Charlie Houston run. But uh yeah, yeah, I guess that's fair. I I, I I was you know reading that I was like oh yeah I'm like I wonder how how old he's supposed to be and then they mentioned that he's supposed to be late thirties and I'm like wow I'm way past that yeah I mean neither one of us are gonna be Moon Knight right so maybe yeah. maybe uh, a mooning night where we run around with our pants off and flash our ass at people different but also serving justice so I can do that yeah, I could do that too um, so yeah. I just yeah please I was just gonna say in summation as somebody who's never read Moon Knight I want to read more. If, if you guys out there are like, you need to read this Moon Knight story, let us know. Um, and if there's somebody in the Marvel Universe that you think is sort of widely ignored because I've, you know, never read a Moon Knight story before this, Sleep please darker. let us know. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I know that he also was briefly part of the, like, part of the, the New Warriors, too, which, you know, I would also read. But let me, let me just throw a shout out to Comixology. It's a great app. I'll just say that because not only because Steve lets me read his comics, which is great. Um, I, I love being able to do the double tap and go frame like, like panel by panel because everything mm-hmm. zooms in. And then whenever you get to like a wider panel, like it, it just shifts left or right. And then if you get to a splash page, it's, it, it, it zooms out so you can see it, but you get to appreciate the detail in the art 
and focus on the story as opposed to like losing yourself on a page, which I understand there's an art form on page layout too. I get it. I love the functionality of the Comixology app on my iPad. I was able to zip through all three of these volumes. And um, even when we talked about Superman smashing the clan a couple episodes ago, I, I love the way, like, and I'm sure other comics readers do this too, but as much as I love having a book in my hands and flipping through it, this is a close second. And I dig, like, it, it lets you, it really lets you breathe in the detail that goes into making these things possible. And I dig it. I also like that uh, um, I'm able to pick up volumes of things that maybe I wouldn't pick up the comic book store um, just because I'm I'm leery of, of getting buyer's remorse for I don't paying twenty thirty dollars for a, a trade, yeah. but right. I, I and, and I still buy. I just went to the comic book store and spent like sixty bucks. So like I I'm still all about physical media, and I will always support a local comic book store. Um, but I'd never read any of Dale Keown's uh, run on Hulk. And there was a Hulk sale, like, I don't know, a week or two ago. So I picked up some of Keown's Hulk stuff for pretty cheap. And I'm looking forward to checking that out. I I, I think that uh, it's a great tool. And I think uh, uh, my, my only wish is that I could put together my own lists in um, Comixology where I can, like, throw all of my Batman comics into one list. Where it's like, like here's a Spotify all playlist. Like, here, this is what, you know. Yeah. This is, yeah. I agree. Uh, that's my one one problem with it. Sometimes it can be a little bit of a pain trying to find things. That's fair. But otherwise, I think it's great. And I think, I, I don't know, like you're still paying for content. And I don't know, like I feel like I feel like it's a win-win because um, I, I still buy trades and I still buy individual issues sometimes, but space becomes an issue. And I understand that we want to support physical media and we want it out there because like holding a comic in your hand is still great. Like per se, the science slasher or, you know, um, uh, beyond sunset that it, beyond sunset or just after sunset, that's the Stephen King thing. Beyond sunset is the Stephen King thing, but you're Stephen King. So, right. Yes. Beyond after sunset. Beyond after sunset. Is, no. <laughs> God damn it. Like support physical media. But anyway, yeah. like, um, so yeah, no, I like the comiXology app. Uh, yeah. Tell us your thoughts, feelings about Moon Knight. Uh, if you're split on the pins about him, that feels very thematically important, but let us know if there's arcs that we've not talked about it, please let us know as well. You can find us on Facebook and invasion, the podcast. You can also find us on invasion, the which is a blog that is there that I need to add to eventually. It's, you know, it, it's like, it's like, it's like getting back on a bicycle except writing words about a thing. So whatever, there's enough there. Steve wrote some cool stuff about uh Friday 13th, like seven years ago. And he also wrote about all his star Wars toys. Like it's pretty cool. He's, he's much better with the words than I am. So go find that. That'd be great. Um, wherever you find your podcasts, you know, Apple music, Google music, um, Ash Jeeves, um, Netscape. I don't know. America online, wherever you get your podcast, please rate and review us. It'd be great. If you like this conversation, uh, and you think other people would enjoy just two dudes rambling for two plus hours each week, let them know. Um, the more the merrier. We greatly appreciate it. And Steve, how can people find you? 
You can find me at the Saturday Night Slasher.com. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook under the Saturday Night Slasher and on Twitter under the Saturday Slasher. And you've not mentioned that your um, your partner in crime, Ryan Cassandy, has made available face masks to support um, people not being jerks in public, but also the Saturday Slasher. Yeah, uh, that was actually the mask that I wore to the comic book store on uh, Saturday, representing the the comic. Uh, yeah, it's, and threatening uh, everybody on Saturday. <laughs> on uh, Ryan's Redbubble page, you can uh, get a mask with uh, the logo on it, and um, it's a great way to protect yourself and support a local comic artist. Yeah, it's way, it's a great way to protect yourself and also let the slasher know that you know who he is and that we're cool. You're not coming for me, right? That's, you know, don't worry. He just wanted his machete back. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) The secret of detective Jeff Saturday is with me and I will not reveal it to anybody else. So, all right. Um, yeah, that's going to do it for that conversation. Uh, before we talk about what we're doing next week, uh, it's time to celebrate national video game day. Time to play the game. So I got to just play my favorite game, which is can Steve grab a beer and open it in the time that it takes uh, for the music to play for time to play a game. Did you win? Did you win? I'm still unscrewing the cap, so I I lost. Oh, no. What about this? Game over, yeah! So sorry very, very appropriate. Had I had I had like just you know a pull can, uh, you yeah. know pull tab can, I would have been fine. But I, I can't you could have shotgunned a beer. You could just stab the bottom of it and <laughs> like, just be like, <laughs> and be done with it. As I sit amidst my like broken office, which is now <laughs> filled with uh, like this was the place that I used to go to for my joy, uh, and now it's filled with my actual day job work. <laughs> so it's. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Place. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I'm sitting in the same chair in the same spot that I do my day job at as well. Um, so it gets a little blurry. I agree with you. And I admit, I, I completely acknowledge that I am lucky that I currently am in a job where I can work from home. But it does, like, this used to be my escape from the world, and now it's the only place that I can <laughs> Now go. it is your world. Um, yeah. So, okay, as you're finishing opening your beer, can I just mention that I um, encountered today at my day job that I will not get into, I was looking at a certain document that showed a uh, paint job for a car, and the official, the official color for the car was pull me over red. <laughs> I've I've heard that that red is the the most common color of cars that get pulled over. Fine, but if you're an auto manufacturer, why would you list that as a paint color for your car? <laughs> I don't know, and I own a red car. So. Is it pull me over red? <laughs> <laughs> or is it walk of shame Sunday red? What is I don't know what that means. So. <laughs> it's just red. <laughs> <laughs> Better it's off red, red rocket. Red rocket. Dog oh dick, no! Red rocket. It's a dog red. dick color. I don't like that. <laughs> All right. All right. Enough, like we have our beers. Uh, it's video video game time. So what 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 are we doing here? Yeah. So I know that we've played video game based games in the past, but 
uh, pulling a card from your uh, deck, I was like, oh, I wonder what holidays are happening this week. And it just happens today that today, the day we're recording on, July 8th, is National Video Game Day. I don't know that anybody's observing this because I feel like National Video Game Day is just every day. I will um, be observing it like as I will honor Khonshu later tonight um, with National Video Game Day. Like, so I don't know if it, be it's, playing. It, I don't know if it's the God. I'll be playing Overwatch, which means I'll be full of like vengeance and anger as I play it. So, yes. Nice. Yeah. All right. So I, I've put together a, a quiz here to test your video game knowledge. Okay. So question one. Uh, and for those of you who know me know that I don't know much about current video games. So most of these questions are going to skew from like 1980 to like 2000. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> All righty. So which of these movies was not adapted into a game for the Atari video game system. Okay. Is it a Raiders of the lost Ark? Is it B Halloween? Is it C the empire strikes back? Or is it D blade runner? Halloween. There's a video game for Halloween that was released for the Atari. Oh shit. So there's not a blade runner game. There's not a blade runner game. All yeah. right. I failed. So that's on me. Wow. All right. <laughs> That's okay. You've, you've got uh, nine more chances to correct here. <laughs> All right. So the next one here is uh, related to Super Mario Brothers, and this is kind of a technical question. But how many pixels tall was Mario in the original Super Mario Brothers? Okay, so for those of you who don't know, pixels are what makes up your your, your screen, the, the, what make up your uh, video. If you're an artist, uh, you're looking at how many pixels make up your image with Mario. Obviously it was the 1980s. So you're going to have a smaller amount of pixels that are available to you, at least color wise. Um, so my question to you is, is how many pixels tall was Mario in the original super Mario brothers? Was it a 12 B 16 C 24 or D 32? 24. Okay, so you're right in the middle. So he was sixteen. <laughs> he was sixteen pixels tall. All right. And by are we talking about? Wide. We talking about Big Mario or Little Mario? Well, here's the thing. Well, while I'm saying you're in the, the middle, when he was Big Mario, he was thirty two by sixteen. <laughs> so you were you said twenty four, which is right in between okay. sixteen and thirty two. So unfortunately, you were wrong either way. I was going to give you credit for either one of them, but. I yeah. still wasn't you, right, so please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All righty, so this, this next question here. Uh, what was the original retail price of the Sega Genesis when it launched? Was it $149.99? Was it $99.99? Was it $189.99? Or was it $219.99? $189.99. You are correct. And what's interesting is, is adjusted for inflation today, it it equals out to $403. Yeah, no, those earlier systems cost a bunch of money. Like, uh, I remember for Christmas the one year, like we had an Atari and then um, it burned out. And then I just wanted a 2600 because we were poor and there's no hope of making a Nintendo, right? 
So the Christmas, I was opening my presents. I opened, I got a Nintendo and I'm like, oh my goodness, I guess I don't need an Atari anymore. The very next thing I opened was a 2600. And it didn't get used as much as the Nintendo. (laughs) Well, what's funny too is, is that I remember in high school, my mom asked me, like I asked for a Nintendo and a Nintendo had been around for a while. And I think the Genesis had just come out. She's like, well, wouldn't you rather have this? It's newer. And I'm like, no, I want the Nintendo. And she got me the Nintendo. And then the following Christmas, I was like, I really want a second Genesis. And I'll always remember this. I think my mom got it at like a Sam's Club because it came with because the game system only came with one controller. So she bought like a, a package that came with an extra controller and an extra game. And that game was DuckTales. Which is a great so, game. That was a great yeah. game at the time. That was Capcom. It was actually a pretty good game. Uh, but you're right. The original Sega Genesis only was packed with one controller. Uh, but So it must have come with like Sonic and then DuckTales. Yeah, it came with... Yeah, you're absolutely right. Because Sonic was packed in with uh, the game. But DuckTales then, is a great game. I love DuckTales. It's a great game. Yeah, I, I, I look back on that now fondly. And then I'm realizing, looking at the adjusted dollars, I'm like, Jesus Christ, what was I asking for? <laughs> That's I'm fair. I just asked for a car. Um, they've remastered that DuckTales the past couple of years. They've like they've kind of taken the rough edges off of it, so it's still a game oh, that's really? popular and people like it. Oh, nice. I have to look that up. Because uh, I spent many a day playing DuckTales. A woohoo. Yes. All right, so this next question here uh, goes... Uh, it's a little bit of uh, comic book trivia, and it's a little bit of uh, video game trivia. So, which Image comic was not adapted into a Super Nintendo video game? Is it A, Wildcats, B, Savage Dragon, C, Spawn, or D, Shadowhawk? Savage Dragon. You are correct. And what's interesting about that is, is that Shadowhawk was actually never released uh, for the Saturday for the for the Saturday for this Super Nintendo. And what's interesting about that is, is apparently a ROM of an early build of the game finally made its way online, like somewhere in the 2000s, hmm. and people have been playing it. But it was actually never released. It was developed for the Saturday. For the, damn it! <laughs> for the size slasher. Right? <laughs> I keep wanting to sell the Saturday that. Night Entertainment System. No, um, eh. no, because I, I just feel like. Eric Larson had such control because like, that's the whole thing. Image, right? Like, yeah. And I don't think I've just, I've never heard of the Savage Dragon showing up anywhere other than the comic. So, well, he did have a cartoon series. Oh, that's fair. That is fair. You're right. Yeah. That so. eventually became Axe Cop. That's not true. Probably <laughs> doesn't feel <laughs> far off. Though. Interesting. I picked up comics over the weekend. I picked up some back issues of Spider-Man by Eric Larson that I'd never read. So I'm, I'm I'm uh, I'm trying to like is, is this like, the, is this the Spider-Man just Spider-Man like no uh, a, a, a affix okay I don't remember if it I, I don't think it's adjectiveless Spider-Man I think it's uh what what was the the title McFarlane was on before he went on to Yeah that's what I'm saying it's just Spider-Man. called Spider-Man cuz he bounced out um Larson took over for like a year or so and he ended up writing an arc in which Spider-Man got his arm busted up and he had to wear like a cast that was like this bonnet cast. And he partnered up with um, Deathlock for a half second, if I remember right. Um, there, like, yeah, it was one of those things I didn't, at the time I was reading it, 
I didn't understand why McFarlane wasn't doing it anymore, but Larson comes in and actually has some fun stories. Yeah, Larson's like a big uh, uh, open area in my like comics knowledge, so I'm trying to read some of his stuff and yeah. fill that that he, gap. He, he's not my favorite artist, but I I, I like him. Like I don't I, like you, I don't know. I, I, that doesn't that feels like it's a disservice to Larson. That's not my point. It's like I like his style, but he's not my favorite style. Yeah, I mean I, that, that's fair. Everybody has their favorites. I, I have in in interviews and things that I've read with Larson, I, I I'm become more of a fan of the person and I realized that I should really go back in and give his material a look. So, yeah. Cause it, it wasn't, you're right. As glossy as say like McFarlane on Spider-Man. And I don't know. Um, I just, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's a preference thing, which I know you and yeah. I, we've went back and forth on certain people's styles where as much as I'll respect Magnolia with Hellboy, his other work just drives me batty. And I know that's a, I guess it's a heresy. Like I feel like his work on the new mutants makes me want to punch myself in the face, but people like his work and I, I can acknowledge that it's just your mileage may vary. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to digging into, uh, Larson stuff. Cause I think there's some, some gold in there that I haven't seen yeah, before. No, so. It'll be fun. I'll be fun to hear uh, your thoughts on that. Cause I, I read all that yeah. until, cause that Spider-Man book, sorry, I know we're going along because this is that show. Um, after he got done and then went off to image surprise, surprise, that Spider-Man, you know, just called Spider-Man, that book got kind of tossed around a lot. And so it became a lot of weird arcs. Um, mm-hmm. And so the, there was some weird shit that happened with that book after Larson stepped away. So I think I think after McFarlane left, Larson came in and kind of steadied the ship. And then he, he abandoned ship because he got more money and career control doing Savage Dragon. Then that series got weird. <laughs> like I'll just put it that way. Like there was a oh. three issue arc about like gun violence. It's not bad, but it's like, this is weird. What's going on here. I'll also say this for Larson, uh, of all the image creators, he's still doing his book. He's at issue two fifty. Like we talked about yeah. issue 300 of spawn and McFarlane has had tons of people working on that comic over the years. Larson has been doing it since issue one. Like he's done all 250. He's just kept his head down and kept working, you know, and you got to respect that. Yeah, absolutely. Guy's a machine. I'll give him credit for that. Alrighty. So, uh, this next one here is, uh, one of your, uh, well, I don't know. It's one of my favorite Adam Sandler movies, but, uh, maybe your mileage might vary on it. But, uh, what video game does Billy Madison declare is the best video game ever? Is it a donkey Kong B Zaxxon, C, Burger Time, or D, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out? Donkey Kong is better than Mortal Kombat. <laughs> All right, so you are aware of the the, the, the yes. quote from the film. All right. I love that movie, absolutely. <laughs> so this next question here, um, I'm going to ask you, which of these video game sequels is real? So I'm going to give you four. Three of them are fake. One of them is real. You tell me which one's real. Okay. So letter A is Toe Jam and Earl, the Fat Beats and Smooth Rhymes Legacy Edition. B, Duke Nukem, Nuke em all. C, Double Dragon 5, The Shadow Falls. Or D, 
Gauntlet Six: Wizard Needs Food Badly Tournament <laughs> of Champions. Oh, um, what was B? B was Duke Nukem. Nukem all. Okay, so let's see, because the sequel was Duke Nukem's Forever. So C is the Shadow Falls. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. I, I tried to come up with uh, with uh, you know titles that were just dumb enough, but could possibly be real. No, I, all I the, knew Gauntlet no. Six was a giveaway. But. No, there was a sequel to Toe Jam and Earl. There's actually a new one being crowdfunded right now. Um, but yeah, the Gauntlet one. There's the, the, if you want to look at like like weirdly mishandled properties, like and maybe they need to die. But Gauntlet has been revisited multiple times, where everyone's like, yeah, but it's Gauntlet, and like no one buys it. There's one that was like, a game that I played at the arcade like, yeah, all the time. That was one of the Wizard original needs food badly. It was one of the original quarter so, like like sponges, right? Like absolutely. Uh, but like there was Gauntlet Dark Legend, Dark Legacy. There was Gauntlet. I don't know, but like yeah, I just they keep trying to revisit that format, and I don't know the four player competitive thing. I think is valid. I don't think as an isometric like top down like game. I don't know if that has legs and that type of aspect anymore. It's funny that you said that toe jam and Earl is being crowdfunded. Cause I'm like, shouldn't that just be like, shouldn't, you know, whoever has the right suit now just put it out and it just be a thing that makes money. Like it's weird to me that that has to be something that's, that's crowdfunded. That's crazy. It was Well, the original toe jam and Earl was uh, published by Sega. If I remember it was in the Genesis. Sega. Okay, there you go. Yes. So I'll look that up as you give me the next question. I'll verify if I'm right about that. So please continue. All righty. So the original Xbox was not originally named Xbox. So my question to you is, is what was the original Xbox named? Is it A, X-Pack? Is it B, X-Capade? Is it C, X-Play? Or D, Direct X? Oh, read those back to me. That, that all sounds familiar. So X Pack, X Capade, X Play, or Direct X. Uh, Direct X. You are correct. That was some sort of terminology for the platform. Blah blah blah. I didn't really pay attention to why the reason was, but it had something to do with the technology involved in the system itself so there was a toe jam and a roll sequel called uh panic on funkatron that's not the one i was talking about and there's also back in the groove um but i, I thought there was a crowdfunded toe jam and a roll but there's been other things showing up with toe jam and a roll but direct x like i think that might have been like a call back to like the direct x um like um, graphic settings. I don't know. But. Yeah, I think that's what it was. Yeah. It, I, I, I was on question seven at that point. I was just needing trivia. So. <laughs> All right. So let, let, I, I, spent, I, I, I spent more of my time uh, trying to come up with other names. Uh, which I appreciate. So let's get to the rest of the questions. And then I, I will drop <laughs> a knowledge bomb on you that you may not know about consoles. So. Ooh. Yeah. All right. Uh, number eight. What was oh this is this is for you this, uh, well obviously it's for you <laughs> but uh, this is a Blizzard question and okay. I know you love the blizzards I do love both. the blizzards both ice cream <laughs> and video games exactly not the actual snowstorm that can go screw itself <laughs> so uh, what was the first game released by Blizzard for PC 
Was it A, the Lost Vikings? Is it B, Leisure Suit Larry? Is it C, Wing Commander? Or is it D, Mist? And that's spelled with a Y, by the way, just so you know. Um, the first one was Lost Vikings, and that's correct. That is correct. 1992. Yeah. Because Blizzard, as a company, has not released many original IPs. The Lost Vikings was fun. Um, they actually released that for Super Nintendo and Rock and Roll Racing, which was a fun game. Uh, and then they had an action, a platformer called Blackthorn that's never been revisited. And then we went on to uh, Warcraft and then Diablo, Starcraft, and then, you know, eventually Overwatch, which I'll be playing tonight. Ah, uh, Diablo. <laughs> yes. Sorry. <laughs> El Diablo. Yes. Well, here, okay, so Steve, I'll tell you this. In, in Diablo 2, they had a secret level called the cow level that people could find. And it was full of cows that was really hard to get to because it was an inside joke. Um, so there's another game that was made later by a different company, but people that developed uh, Diablo 2. The game's called Torchlight. And there's a, like a horse level, a unicorn level, that is an homage to the cow level that's way harder. <laughs> so it's like an in-joke based on an yep, in-joke. Yep. So I thought you'd appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> All righty. So we've got three questions left okay. here. All righty. So uh, this next one here, what game didn't have a big head mode? Do you remember big head yes. mode where you'd put in a code and like suddenly your character had a gigantic head? All righty. So is it A- NBA Jam, B, Echo the Dolphin, <laughs> C, Banjo-Kazooie, or is it D, Star Wars Masters of Terrors Kasai? Echo the Dolphin. You are correct, sir. Yes. Uh, <laughs> of those games, I played NBA Jam and Star Wars Masters of Terrors Kasai. If uh, my friend Jeff is listening... Uh, he used to thrash me verily on uh, Star Wars Terrace of Master Kasai, and I would be best in Luke, and he would beat me, and then I would go and cry. Mm-hmm. So it was it was a sad, sad state of affairs. I didn't have a girlfriend either. I'm just so going to th- throw that, out there is, um, oh, one, I would be weird for Echo the Dolphin to have a big head mode, and then um, uh, Utini. That's not right. That's that's what uh, the... What, there was something uh, from th- that game, the fighting game, the Star Wars game, that somebody said that was really, really dumb. And I cannot remember right now because I've been drinking. So, Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, wow. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I'm trying to think. There was a lot of... Oh, Garbu. Garbu. Someone would yell in that Gar- game. Garbu! Yes. That may have been the uh, uh, Tuscan Raider. I, I'm not know. sure, though. All righty. So... Question 10. We've reached number 10. We've got this and then just a bonus question to go. Bonus question. And, All right. Yes. Yep. And this is, look at this. We're, we're melding your, your worlds together. It's both a video game and Spider-Man game question. Oh, God. Okay. So which of these is not a real Spider-Man game? Okay. Is it A, The Amazing Spider-Man and Captain America in Doctor Doom's Revenge? <laughs> Is it B, Spider-Man and Venom, Maximum Carnage? Is it C, Spider-Man, Mysterio's Menace? Or D, Spider-Man, The Scorpion Sting? It's the fourth one. 
Um, and I remember the first one was actually a PC game with like the disc that you had to put in and enter a code so they couldn't tell that you were cheating and like bootlegging the thing. Um, so am I right about the fourth one being fake? Yeah, okay. Scorpion Sting I made up. Okay. Um, yeah, I Max thought Mysterio's Ma- Menace might throw you off because there aren't very many games made about Mysterio. That's even fair. though that he's now played by Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, before last year, he was kind of known as a nobody. That's fair. But Maximum Carnage was released. Um, I, I remember it was a big deal when it was put out for the SC, the Super Nintendo, the Saturday Night Slasher Nintendo. Um, <laughs> because most um, Super Nintendo cartridges were gray, this one was red. Like, that was a big Ooh. deal at the time. But I remember the other one was a floppy disk game, and I remember seeing that in like when I was in elementary school, and we didn't have the we didn't actually have the disk, and I kept seeing it boot up, and I'm like, but I want to play, and it just never let me play, so I'm yeah. angry about that. So, bonus question: What is that? Alrighty, so uh, this is a Overwatch commer- uh, commercial. Commercial, uh, buy question. it, play it with I, me. I play it all the time. That's my I, commercial. Clearly, had too much to drink this evening. Alrighty, so question eleven. This is true or false. It's about a character named Tracer. Do you know who Tracer is? (laughs) I'm aware. Yes. All right. (laughs) Yes. So true or false. Tracer suffers from chronal. I can't even say it. Chronal detachment. Is this true or false? Yes, because she uh, warps through time. According to BuzzFeed, it was false. I think it's BuzzFeed. I don't know. I just looked up Overwatch trivia because I was like, I got to ask him an Overwatch question. I would argue because and, she can zip around. She can blink forward and then call do something called a rewind and pop backwards where she was like 10 seconds previously. So she uses a coronal device. So I maybe if it's wrong, then I don't know. I don't know. If I live my life running around to be able to re- reset myself every 10 seconds, I think I'd have some mental issues. I believe that there's a pill that you can take. It's called Latuda, which yeah, will take there, care of. That's fair. Yes. Chronal detachment. That's true. Um, also, weed will also get rid of your chronal <laughs> detachment. So, are you ready for some trivia that you may have known about, and it would shape uh, as we understand video games? Here's the deal. All right. Sony and Nintendo are working together on a um, console, and it was the Nintendo PlayStation. Um, really? Yes. And it was going to be a, a disc-based drive, and Nintendo was going to produce it. Sony was working on the hardware, and they were going to announce it at an E3. And then within days of this announcing this console that actually had a back loading slot for cartridges as well, Nintendo pulled out and left Sony high and dry. And they're like, well, screw it. We're going to make our own game system. Wow. I remember uh, when we got the PlayStation, like it was... It was amazing. Yep. Like I, I realize now that it's not, but well, it was at the time, and Nintendo shipped yeah. the bet on it. They did. They they backed off and did the six. They did um, N sixty four. N sixty four, which is cartridge based, because they thought that was the, still the way to go. They were late the game on that, and then they put out the um, GameCube. And I'm not saying that those systems didn't have games worthy of quality, but they kept limiting themselves. While like now. Like the big three you talk about is Microsoft, Sony, and Nintendo. And had mm-hmm. Nintendo just kept their end of the deal up, it would have just been maybe Microsoft and Nintendo. Wow. I, I did not know that. I, I mean, that's crazy to me because I, 
I think of the, the many nights that were spent playing that PlayStation. I mean, we beat that game system into the ground. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I loved that system. Yeah, when I was in college, like, um, or even like high school, Resident Evil, uh, my, my favorite game of that original PlayStation generation was Vigilante 8, which was set in the 70s. It was a car combat game, like Twisted Metal, but it had alien shit involved, too, and a 70s soundtrack. It was great. Uh, you go back and look at it now, it's just a polygon nightmare. I get it. But but like the notion that like Nintendo had an idea and then they backed off and went their own way at the time didn't seem great. And I, I still agree it would not be great. They're doing okay now. Like they always try to find the different way in. And as much as I, I don't like that they state that um, power of a system doesn't dictate like output, I think it limits their potential for publishing because other third party publishers don't want to come to them because their toolkit is um, behind in terms of what can be published. If that, if if what I'm saying out loud makes sense to you. Uh, I understood every third word, but I think I get, I'm just saying like the Nintendo switch is a cool thing, but whenever there's games that get ported over like overwatch, there has to be major considerations and cut downs of graphics and abilities so the thing can process it correctly. And I don't like that. This is a main, like this is a current gen system technically that can't process at the same quality as your competition because you actively choose not to do that. That's frustrating to me. That's a, that's yeah. a, that's a conversation for another day. But anyway, that was a, that's a fun quiz. I answered most of them, right? So I think I'm okay with video game day. I'm still I think gonna, you're good. I think I'm going to celebrate that. I, I I dispute the tracer question, but none of us know the answer, so that's fine. Uh, yeah, that's going to do it for us. A uh, longer episode, or what you would call an average episode now, because um, Steve and I don't physically see each other anymore, and I have no idea what he looks like. So I don't really don't know. Steve could be Steve could be stuck to his chair like the monster in Creepshow's Gray Matter. I have no idea. He could be asking for beers. And smashing walls and eating cats right now. I have no idea. That could be happening. Um, I am. <laughs> you're just like, I need more Little Kings. Bring me all the Little Kings beers. It's fine. No, um, Yeah, so next week, um, we didn't talk about in the news, but um, uh, Ennio Morricone passed away a couple days ago at the age of 90. So he lived a long life, so it isn't like gone too soon but in my heart I feel like he's gone too soon because he is a gentleman who has composed a lot of film scores and we talked about him already uh, briefly when we did our year of the knockoff with Jaws and Orca because he did the the, the uh, score for Orca which was kind of great but also weird because it had Orca noises in it but that movie's also kind of great and kind of weird but also not great go back and listen to that episode um and also, Eno Morricone did the score for John Carpenter's The Thing. So I feel like he's someone, and we talk about this all the time when we talked about Drew Struzan. We talked about, um, oh, shit, um, the guy who was behind a lot of Star Wars uh, concept art, Steve, um, did all the shit. So wait, are we talking about music or no, I'm talking art? about physical artwork. Who was the guy who did all the Star Wars ships, like the concept art? So there's Doug Chang for the, the prequels, but I think you're thinking of, um, oh my God, I can't believe I'm blanking on his name right now. Um, the McQuarrie, one for, Ralph McQuarrie. You're out Ralph McQuarrie, yes. So I feel like there's times that these are the things that you love. You don't realize why, like you love them. 
and there's all these details and things in the corners of why you love a thing. Um, this is one of those guys, you know, more Kone, like John Williams. Like you can't think of Star Wars without him. Ennio Morcone, you can't think about a lot of things in this life without him. He did the theme to The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, which I know is Steve's being a Metallica fan. Um, a time that you saw them live and even going forward, they always open their set with The Ecstasy of Gold, which is a, a piece of music from The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. I think I'm correct about that. I think they open all shows with that. Um, that is correct, yeah. yes. And it's an amazing piece of music. But like I say, he did the score for The Thing. He wrote original music for The Hateful Eight that he won an Oscar for. Um, I have fallen in love with Ennio Morricone over the last few years when I started digging into Westerns. He did more than Westerns, but that's where I know him from, so I need to dig more into him. With that being said, um, next week, we're going to be looking at a Western. We're going to be looking at 1965's For a Few Dollars More. It's the second of the three quote-unquote dollars trilogy films that um, uh, Sergio um, Leone directed with Clint Eastwood, uh, Morricone did the score for, and I feel like the music is an integral part of the film. It has Clint Eastwood, it has Lee Van Cleef. It's a badass movie. Steve has not dove deep into Westerns. Um, so this will be a fun exp exploration. And I want people to just realize that like this is an experience. If you'd like to watch it with us, I believe it's available on Hulu. If not, it's like five, sorry, $4 to rent. It's two hours and 10 minutes. I think it's a time worth taking. I think this is a great movie. And we're going to get our Western on. We're going to get our Morricone on. And yeah, that's where we're at. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And I can't wait to talk about it. I agree. It's a completely, uh, this. it's similar to Moon Knight in that like I have very little knowledge going in. So it's, it's very much a clean slate for me. Yes, and that Clint Eastwood has three personalities in the film. That's not true, but whatever. Anyway, so yeah, it's going to do the it. good, the bad, and the ugly. It's yeah, he is the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, you're right. That's exactly what's going on. But yeah, next week for a few dollars more, we're done this week. It is been a long episode, but what do you expect us to do? We don't see each other, and we're scared of society because they don't wear masks. And I miss Steve. So we talk a lot, we drink a lot, we talk about <laughs> moon nights. Um, but yeah, have a good week. Uh, have a safe week and watch for a few dollars more. In the meantime, um, I don't know. What's a Moon Knight thing? Um, I'd say don't be crazy, but that, I don't know. Serves Moon Knight well. Uh, Moon Knight wears a mask, so should you. <laughs> <laughs>